Today's episode of the Bill Simmons Podcast on the Ringer Podcast Network brought to you as always by ZipRecruiter. You know what's smart? Getting out an NBA trade value 2.0 list right before the trade deadline, just in case anything happens. That's what's on the ringer.com right now. I wrote an update to my trade value list. Check it out. The ringer.com. You know what else is smart? Going to ziprecruiter.com slash BS to hire the right people for your business. ZipRecruiter's technology identifies people with the right skills for your job. They actively invite them to apply. You get qualified candidates fast. I don't know if Bill Belichick is using this to find our next defensive coordinator, Kyle. <laughs> Who is our next defensive coordinator? Let's just trust him. Let's just we'll trust, trust him. him. I trust him, man. He's one of six rings. Right now, my listeners can try ZipRecruiter for free at ZipRecruiter.com slash BS. ZipRecruiter is the smartest way to hire. Meanwhile, Mercari is the selling app that makes it fast and easy to sell almost anything. You take a few picks, add a description, and Boom, your item is listed with millions of people using the Mercari app in all 50 states. Stuff really sells and everything ships easily. So there are never any awkward meetups. Kyle, this sounds like- I was reading the copy. I'm in. Stuff. I'm all the way in. This sounds like ways for me to buy stuff for my office. Uh, I'm in. I'm in too. You can find Mercari on the app stores or on M-E-R-C-A-R-I.com, Mercari. Dot com. Check that out. We're also brought to you by the ringer.com, the world's greatest website, where we are uh, just on hold 24 hours a day, waiting for a crazy NBA trade to happen, following all the rumors, following all the intrigue, you name it. It's on our site. We're also dealing with the Oscars. We have a new rewatchables podcast on the ringer podcast network right now. It's the Warriors. It's the 40th anniversary. One of my favorite movies ever. And I was glad that I finally got to, uh, Properly skewer the baseball furious. Overrated. All makeup and bats and and just you you have to listen to the pod. They get uh they get a nice little skewering. Um coming up, Spike Lee was was in the house on Friday and man, it was really fun to interview him. We talked for almost an hour and a half, and we're gonna run that um right after we talked to Joe House briefly just to talk about trade value list 2.0. And a couple other things. And then a lot of Spike Lee. So maybe like 20, 25 minutes with House and then hitting Spike Lee hard. Spike was great. I really enjoyed it. Uh, I think you'll enjoy it too. First, our friends from Pearl Jam. All right, on the line right now, the host of Fairway Rolling, our golf podcast on the Ringer po- uh, Podcast Network, as well as House of Carbs, uh, an appreciation of food, where I went last week to talk about Cheese Baca and somehow said it was a new restaurant, which I don't even remember saying, but it's been around for like five years. So apologies to them. House, quickly, the Super Bowl. Did you win money? As a matter of fact, I did. I'd like to thank uh, Bill Belichick, Tom Brady, and uh, uh, um, Julian Edelman for just doing their job. Yeah. Uh, I did my job. I bet heavily on the Patriots minus two and a half. Good. I bet heavily on a parlay of the Patriots minus two and a half and the under. Mm. And I also made a little taste on James White under six receptions. It all worked out for me. Wow. That sounds like a great day. You sound like one of the the only non-Patriot fans who are happy that the Patriots won the Super Bowl. I've uh, I've been thinking about it 
for the last two days and reading really a lot because um, I still don't understand what the hell the Rams were doing in that game. And then uh, there's been some great articles. There's a great Twitter thread by Warren Sharp about this. Um, read a couple different pieces, just how kind of dumb the Rams were. And it got me thinking like, this is, this is one of the legacies of the Belichick Brady legacy is just doing your job and putting yourself in the position for the other team to not do their job. And that's what the Rams did. The Rams did not do their job. They didn't go no huddle. They stayed in that 11 formation the whole time. They didn't really, they didn't really try to figure out what the Pats were doing and, and shift things around. And they just got kind of worked. Uh, I think and, they should be embarrassed house. Even with all of that, they were still two plays away from not only making a game of it, potentially yeah, winning the game. It. Their defense played well enough for them to win the football game. They did. Notwithstanding all of those uh, strategic failures, the thing that I took great solace in, and the reason that anybody who asked me, what do you like here? I lo- The thing I liked more than anything else was the under in this game. Because mm. I uh, just believed that we were going to get the Jared Goff that we really anticipated. I admire what the Rams did against the Saints. Uh, notwithstanding the questionable outcome of that game. But I admire that they game-planned and successfully reined in the Saints and, and you know, Goff got to feel comfortable uh, as it in, went in along, the Superdome yeah. there. Huh? Yeah, as as it went along. Yeah, they they yeah. could never get him comfortable in this game. It's Exactly. The, I mentioned this on the Sunday podcast just because it was something I noticed watching the game. They had they the Pats got their one TD drive with their big lineup, which started the game when they couldn't really run the ball when they had Devlin and the I formation and all that stuff. And then on the big TD drive, they used that same formation, but they split everybody out and they went five receivers with it. But they had like Devlin and Burkhead and Gronk split wide as receivers, but they were doing it because of the Rams defense that they were playing. And they just felt like they would have speed advantages which is what led to um, Edelman got open. Gronk had the two big catches. Burkhead got open. And what was crazy about it is McDaniel said they had never practiced it. And they just kind of drew it up in the fourth quarter because they thought it was a way that they could work. And really the only way you could do that is if your players are freaking smart. And I mean, that's, that's incredible. They, I hadn't heard that story. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So they have these players and they find these, these cast-offs and whoever's and or or people who are good, not great, but the the one thing they have is the ability to just kind of think on the fly. And the guys that have never worked for them are always the guys who, the talented athletes who can't think that way. So they had that that in the biggest drive of the year, they have freaking James Devlin out like he's Chad Ochocinco on the left side of the field as a receiver. And the Rams are like, "What's going on?" And it, it and it enabled them to get Gronk open twice, but. Um, just a weird, a, a classic outthinking the opposition thing. So I, to me, that's going to be the legacy of, of this whole era, other than how great Brady was and some of the players, but just like over and over again, figuring out these little challenges during the game, America doesn't appreciate it. They're tired of the Patriots. That's fine. Um, well, and, and to be fair, um, we're barely a year removed from them. Not, not having that kind of success against the Philadelphia they couldn't, Eagles. Couldn't figure so. it out. They couldn't figure out how to Lessons stop Lessons learned. By the way, uh, right. many of those defensive backs in that game were not on this year's team. I, I just want to point out. Um, there you right. go. Trade value list. 
So I did a 2.0 list. I had promised that I was going to write big things about all the 55 guys, but then we had to speed it up because uh, it seemed like Anthony Davis was going to get traded. Now who knows? It it What I'm hearing is that um, New Orleans might just say F you and, and just keep them until the summer. And if he doesn't want to play, whatever. But um, I, I don't think they're going to. But that have... would just be spiteful. That would be to spite him. Do you love that Lakers offer? Who, what, I did this in the trade value. Like Ingram was the highest guy in that trade offer that they allegedly offered. It was Ingram, Lonzo Ball, Kuzma, some expirings, and a couple first round picks. Do you love any of those guys or any of those guys a guaranteed all star? I don't know. I mean, Ingram's a guaranteed all star. Sure. Is he? Is he though? Yeah. Is he really? Is he really? <laughs> you, you, you'd bet your life he's going to make an all star team. Yes, I, I would bet my life. Oh my that, God, that you're going to die, House. Gonna make... House, you're going to die. Well, you, you, did you see what I ate at the Super Bowl? I am going <laughs> to die. It's true. <laughs> uh, um, well, anyway. Two boxes of Popeyes. I think the Celtics. Cajun rice, red beans and rice. Go ahead. The Celtics are obviously hoping this Lakers thing doesn't happen. There's been some conjecture on the Davis side about... Um, he doesn't want to go there. He did this goofy list of teams. Conjecture? His dad said it. I love, by the way, this era where we use the dads to say things. This is a great era. Well, can you imagine if you were in some major professional situation of your life and your dad, Dick House, weighed in publicly to the media about it? How mad would you be? <laughs> Dick House has a view on this. <laughs> House, will you, will, will you, will you please come... Uh, Eat at this uh, all-you-can-eat um, Brazilian steakhouse and eat till you pass out. Dick House, word from Dick House. Uh, I'm not. I don't want my son to go there. I do not want my son to go there. Dick, I, I really don't think Dick House would insert himself into the situation. Would be my guess. House's dad <laughs> really is named Dick House, by the way, for the people listening at home. Um, so anyway, I dropped Davis two spots in the trade value, and the top four is now Giannis. I have Steph Curry second. I've James Harden vaulted from 11 to three uh, during this insane one third of the year run he's having where he's averaging 42, eight and eight. And then Davis at four and LeBron James at five. Those are the completely and utterly untouchable top five. Any uh, disagreements with the top five house? No, no. As we sit here today, there's, there's no quibble that can be had. So the one quibble is whether Luca should be in there or not. No. That's not a quibble. You sure? That's a that's a take. That's that's some some take stuff. You sure? Let them win 35 games. Let them win 38, 39 games this season. With that cast of characters around him and and you know, let's let the season end before we we go out and coronate his ass. Okay. So the next three were Doncic, the Joker, Joel Embiid, 678. Any of those guys have a case to be in the untouchable top five? You know, the only one that jumps out at me is is Embiid. That's I mean, yeah. If he's if he can stay and look, listen here. I'm knocking so loudly. Do you hear me lock? I hear knocking? I hear you. Dear Lord, please let him stay healthy. I can't tell you how much I enjoy watching him play. His inside out game is so perfect for this basketball moment that we are in right now. And I his, really like he's got a terrific competitive attitude. Yeah, me too. I really like the game he played on Thursday where 
He didn't play well, but he still really affected the game in Golden State. And they ended up beating Golden State. He was like 8 for 24. But he got to the free throw line. He protected the rim. He grabbed 20 rebounds. He played really, really hard. And he, and he was like, you know, he's challenging shots. And uh, I just thought he was a monster in that game. And he didn't even play well. Um, and he had Boogie Cousins and Looney getting thrown at him. I, I So I have him eighth on this list. And it's purely a health thing. That's it. If sure. it, if if we didn't have what happened in the first three seasons happen, I think he would be like third. You know, but I'm I'm with you. I agree. He's up there. He's up there. He's up there. So then it's uh Durant and Kawhi, soon to be free agents. Next group, Paul George, all the way up to eleven for trade value. He jumped from twenty seven to eleven after uh a really, really top shelf 50 game run that he's had where he's clearly the best player in OKC now. I I even think the OKC fans would admit it and has an outside case for first team on BA. I think he's third for MVP right now. That's where I would have him. It's him or Kawhi and he's just played every game and, uh, and, and he's under a really nice contract. So he's got 30 million this Uh, year, 33, 35, 30, 38 gets a little dicey in year four, but at least, you know, he's under contract. You know, I just admire it because of the example of a person who's experienced a devastating injury and come all the way back, all the way back and reasserted his, his prominence. He, he really has reclaimed that top 10 in the league status and stature that he possessed before the injury. Agree. So then the next group I had the hardest trouble with, this is groupie. I don't know if he's a franchise guy, but he's our franchise guy was the group. In order, starting with uh, 13, De'Aaron Fox, Ben Simmons, both under rookie contracts, Carl Anthony Towns, who is under a giant contract, Donovan Mitchell, rookie contract, Devin Booker, Jason Tatum. Tatum is under a rookie contract. So here's the case for Fox, because statistically... Um, you know, just Fox versus Simmons, just in a vacuum, Simmons is probably more talented. But here's the case for Fox. And part part of the goal with doing trade value is trying to fill out what the trade value is for the team that has the guy. How unlikely they are to even consider trading him. What Fox has done for them, um, what he's done for the fact that he likes to be in Sacramento, you have a guy who actually likes to be likes being a Sacramento King, who's already a leader, who plays with a real competitive spirit night after night after night, is easily a top three or four most fun to play with guy in the league. And you know he's going to resign there. He's 21 years old. Uh, the, he plays so freaking hard every game. I really do think it's affected the other guys in the team in a, in a positive way where Buddy Heald, Bagley, people like that, like they're, they're getting the best out of those guys, partly because of what Fox is doing night after night after night, the way he handles the media, um, all that stuff. To me, that's like a true franchise guy compared to some of the other versions of it where we've seen where it's like, oh, I'm not that happy right now. I might, who knows? I might go somewhere else or somebody like Kyrie who has blamed the young guys five different times and then won't even talk about his free agent status anymore. And Darren Fox is just like, I want to be here. We're going to win. We're coming night after night. And I think that stuff matters. What's your take on that? You love De'Aaron Fox. I do. We had a, 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 a little dialogue about him 
on the first iteration with of drunk this house list, that I was with drunk house <laughs> well i'm sure that drunk house got it right um I, I, I think it's fine with including him in this uh, uh, category of, of, of player because of where he is, you know, on, on the rookie contract and everything. I still, I don't know, where was he last season? What was going on last season that he needed a full year as a rookie to, to acclimate? He's a 20-year-old point guard on a bad team. Yeah, I, I admire what he's doing. All of the things that you listed off, I, I believe, are, are admirable. I just don't think that he's ahead of Devin Booker at this stage of, 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 you know, of the game. And I don't well, he's got, think he's, he's ahead. He's making 5.5 million this year and Devin Booker's making three this year, but then 27 a year from now. And he's got this $140 million contract coming. So that's really, as an asset, I think I'd rather have Fox on a rookie contract. That's yeah, what that comes I, down I, to. Maybe so. I, I, I just, you know, the the jury's still out for me. I'm not ready. He's another one that I'm not ready to to coronate. I do admire what he's done this year, and the 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 price is obviously right. It's the right situation for him. Congratulations to Sacramento for lucking into a uh, a young foundation. Finally, it's a really uh, fun team to watch. For Fifteen years. I know, huh? It's a really fun team to watch. I hope Sacktown Royalty writes a shitty post about you that you don't house Why? house doesn't believe in Darren Fox. Give me that as a headline. He's fine. He's, he's fine. He's, he's fine, good. says Joe I mean, he's House. Enjoyable. He's enjoyable. I like him. I'm more in, but I, I know he's a little polarizing. I was texting with somebody today about it. Simmons, I dropped him to 14, partly because I don't know how long he's going to be there. Um, I've seen him be up you and down. You keep saying this. I, you, I don't know. You I know just, stuff. You hear man. stuff. You keep saying, I don't, why? He and Simmons, he and Embiid are there. Jimmy Butler is the one. By the way, that was my favorite uh, line in this whole column. Did I you? dropped Jimmy Butler out of the entire trade value column. He's out of the column because he's a dick. Well, he's, mean, I, he's been a dick. I, don't, I got a nice I don't chuckle like out of that. I enjoyed it. I don't like dicks. I thought Simmons in the uh, in that Warriors game, Simmons and Embiid together was really, really fun to watch because they those guys really were potent. balling. Like, they're so athletic. And Simmons, who still just can't shoot, but... He's he's like crashing the boards now, and he's really he's figuring out when Embiid when they go to Embiid on the post or whatever how to kind of lurk around on the baseline the way Rondo used to, and then come flying in for the offensive rebound when the shot's going up. He's he, the the frustrating thing for me is I just want to see him do the Magic Showtime thing on fast breaks, and the league doesn't really do that anymore. I almost would have rather seen Ben Simmons thirty five years ago. When we didn't have threes, <laughs> I wish we put Ben Simmons in a time machine and have well, him go I don't back care to 1984. We need to see him. He needs to start at this point of the season trying one face-up jumper from 16 feet or beyond. Just one. Just try one a game to show us that that you care and that you're trying. House, that's not who he is. That's, that's like an important part of your game. That's like me telling you, one, I just I want two one. salads from house a week. Just two salads. That's it. That's not who you are, house. You're not going to have a salad. <laughs> but I, I'm willing to change. I mean, you know, we're 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 in our uh, we're we're <clears throat> we're in a bump year this year. We're in our. You and I are in a contract year. Big things are happening for us. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Uh, so I might try a salad. Carl Anthony Towns and Mitchell, I've been happy with how they've been playing. 
Mitchell especially, because Mitchell, I was ready to like drop out of the top 25, but he's been on a nice little uh, run the last five, six weeks or so. And whatever happened to him in the first, I don't know, 20 games of the year or whatever, it seems like he's snapped out of it. Interesting well, guy. Two, I think two things real quick on him. Uh, he believed, he read too much of his own press over the summer. He enjoyed himself too much this summer. Yeah. And Utah played, I think, the hardest schedule in yeah. the league the first part of the season, if not the the hardest, one of the top five. And they didn't do great with it, and he didn't do great with it. They're in a much more favorable zone right now schedule-wise, and this is, you know, the D-Mitch that we want to see. So uh, just zipping through the rest of the list a little bit, Old Depot had to drop to 23 because he got hurt. No, apologies, Victor, but you're hurt. Um, Marvin Bagley made a nice little jump up to 24. I don't know if you've been watching the Bagman lately, but um, – First of all, really kind of gifted offensively already. I mean, we knew we knew he was talented, but is is doing some stuff on on uh ISOs and low post stuff that uh I thought he was maybe a year away from potentially. The other thing I like, he's always around the rim offensively. Shots are up and he's just kind of his hands are kind of just around the rim. Like he's trying to get tip-ins and he's just active. He is uh He's very, very likable. I've enjoyed him. I don't know how much you, you, I know you hate the Kings, so you're a tough guy to ask, but no, how dare you see now, you now you're trying to, to, to sow them seeds, them dirty seeds. <laughs> I love, this is the very best case scenario for him. And I love the two hand. He's got really soft hands, both hands yeah. around the rim. The point you just made. And he's on a super streak. Somebody sent us a, uh, or some, one of your guys wrote it about like very quietly, he's strung together 10 or 12 games of double-digit points, double-digit rebounds yeah. around there. And, and, you know, filling up the stat sheet, steals, blocks. This is the guy that they they drafted and who they thought they were they were getting. The only thing that, that is tough for them is there's a there's a franchise tra- transcendent player uh, yeah, that was tough. available to them that they didn't take. But if you take that out of the mix, they're getting great value for that pick. Bagley looks like he's going to be a damn good player and a cornerstone player along with your boy D-Fox. And Buddy, who's been awesome this year. Buddy shot like 50% from three last month. He was like 52%. He's been out of his mind. I, uh, I'm i so happy they fucked up. They'll never admit it. <laughs> they fucked up. Oh, they, they're coming for you now. No, no, listen. They fucked up. They, they didn't realize Luca was as good as he was, and Luca has a chance to be a generational player, and you can never pass that up in a draft ever. So they fucked up. But this could have been so much worse. They could have taken Mo Bamba third. Mo Bamba just got hurt again today and has done jack shit all year. He's got now he's got a stretch fracture. But can you imagine that I mean the old school Kings move would have been not taking Luca and then having Mo Bamba and his stress fracture as a rookie year. And like, that would have been the classic path for the Kings. Bagley's a really good consolation prize for missing out on a generational player. I, I'm all in. I really like him. I don't think he'll ever be as good as Luca. It goes without saying, but, um, you know, this is weird. Only you're, you're going to understand this, but he's the kind of guy we used to love playing with when we played pickup all the time. Absolutely. You know what Every I mean? Time. He's. Yeah, I would. Uh, I would uh, love uh, to have played pickup with Bagley because, as you said, soft hands. He's around the rim. He's going to tip in my misses. He's always ready for it. the ball. We can. We can throw him the ball and cut and do stuff. I think he'd be fun to play with. Yeah, he plays like 
he he went to Duke for four years. He plays like he he has all the fundamentals of his game. It's a unique kind of uh, uh, trait for a guy came out coming out after one year. Ch- a little reminiscent of Chris Mee from the old Holy Cross days. Oh, Chris yeah. Mee. Chris Mee had both hands. Very soft. Shout Loved out, shout out to Chris footer. Mee. Lefty? Yeah. Little, little Chris Mee-ish. All right. Nobody knows what we're talking about. Um, <laughs> so just jumping around a little bit. I'd knocked Aiton back from 24 to 32. I, I'm not giving up on him. I don't even, I'm not even going to ra- raise any red flags. I'm just... I'm still not totally sure what he is and where and where he fits into whatever the league is now. Well, that Phoenix has some some uh identity yeah, uh defining yet to go. Like they they don't know. Their GM has been there for for two and a half months. I mean, like they, I, they got their own shit to figure out. I know what Bagley is and I know what Jaron Jackson is. And I think I would rather have those guys than Aiton. But I also wouldn't rule out a world in which some team figures out exactly how to use him correctly and it becomes what it becomes. But I just think, yeah, I mean, I'm, to, I'm, for I'm me, Jaron Jackson and Bagley, there is no way they're not making it. Um, then ripping through a couple more guys, a uh, couple newcomers, John Collins on the Hawks. He's, he's, I mean, can we talk about the Hawks for a minute? The Hawks, are, are, we're done. They have 18 wins already. We thought they were going to have 18 wins all year. And it's because of John Collins. Are we sure it's not the winging it podcast? Are the we sure it? it's not the podcast bump? The, the pod father brings, brings bays and, and VC yeah, that into that the fold. Might've been Annie. Annie might've had something I, to do with it. I watched the Hawks last night. They dismembered. Now, I, I mean... I got to try really hard not to use a whole bunch of foul language talking about my Washington professional basketball wow. franchise now. Yeah. It's a sad day. But they, they and, and w- <laughs> it's not a surprise that Washington, you know, tried to beat them by outscoring them uh, and it didn't work out because the right. Washington roster right now is Bradley Beal yeah. and 11 bench guys. It's the best bench team in the NBA. It's just that all of them ha- have to play. Yeah. Well, the Hawks are pretty good. But the Hawks were good. Yeah. Herder, Herder's good. Nineteenth. Yeah, no. I almost put him in honorable He's perfect mention. For this NBA. I almost put him in honorable mention. I really did. I I actually thought about it. He is a ringer staff favorite. And then Collins has been good. Trey Young is still all over the place, but at least he's not. Yeah. At least he can like run the run the offense. And they have some other guys I like too. Um Torian Prince had a Torian good game Prince last is night. good. And uh I don't know, they're playing hard. I'm shocked. I all indications said they were going to try to go like 12 and 70, but the reality is like Collins is like a 22 and 10 every night now. You know, and just too much pride too. That's that's part of the thing that I admire. They're just not out there to to run through games and and you know collect paychecks. They play. Um, I'll leave you with this, and then we'll go because I promised it would only be 25 minutes. What's the most fun Zion destination right now? What would be your power rankings? Because I think Atlanta has to be in that conversation. Oh wow! I didn't really think about them, but I I will have them in my in the top five now that you mention it. Because I agree, there is there's so much um, that could be done there. Cleveland's I, I Cleveland's worst case scenario, Zion, right? Huh? Cleveland's worst case scenario. Oh, that's the worst. God, if if, if there's a God in heaven, <laughs> Cleveland ends up. You know, <laughs> it's with just the, like with the it's like all right, I, enough pick. with Cleveland. Um, enough with enough Cleveland. with generational Christ. superstars going to Cleveland. Um, we've, ha- we've had it. 
We've had the it. Knicks, we did the it. The Knicks is the team. It, the Knicks is the team for for Zion. That's what I, I want. New. I want basketball saved in New York. I want Zion and Kyrie and hey, Dennis Smith. The fuck, and, <laughs> Kyrie. I'm just saying. This, this is the team. And Jimmy the Dick Butler and, you know, a couple. I just want basketball to be relevant again in New York. And I, I think, you know, the basketball gods looking down. If they if there was ever a moment to to hold their nose and reward James Dolan, this would be it. What about KD, Kemba, and Zion? That's a pretty good team. That's that that's pretty good in the East. That they they would win a lot of games, I believe. The other fun thing is they actually do have enough to trade for Anthony Davis in June, potentially, if that is how it plays out. Because let's say they don't get the number one pick. Let's say they get, like, the fourth pick. And then you give them the fourth pick, Knox, um, the two Dallas picks they got. You, just get, you give them a mother load of picks, basically. Dennis Smith, throw him in there, try to get David. You're at least in the David, at the Davis table with that trade, especially if KD is coming, which... I, that would be my bet. I'll just put it that way. Interesting. Um, yes. Well, when you do so a trade like father. when you do that Porzingis trade, you're you're basically saying you know you're getting KD, or or else you're the dumbest franchise that ever walked the earth. If you don't, if you don't know <laughs> no, for sure I, you're getting KD, this. you're morons. This this is the segue I was looking for. Yeah, because we're not going all this whole conversation without me talking about John Wall's Achilles tendon. Yeah. Um, the Knicks did, I believe, a very sound risk assessment in a vacuum of what Porzingis on a max contract would represent to them in view of the two injuries that he's already experienced in his professional basketball career. Yeah. And I think it was perfectly sound risk assessment. Like, we can't, we're going to offer the max to this guy. He will take it because every rookie that's been offered the max takes it. And then what are we stuck with? It, can he flourish here? Can we help him avoid injury here? What do we have around him? I, I don't mind that trade one bit. I think from Washington, D.C., sitting and you know objectively uh, observing that the way that went down, I thought they did fine in that trade. I thought they got good assets. They cleared the decks. They're ready for New York to be back on the basketball map. Unlike what's going on here in Chocolate City, the basketball team, I don't know what to do. What are we supposed to do? John Wall tore his Achilles tendon in his home. They want me to believe that he slipped and fell in his home. Bill Simmons, you're almost 50 years old. I'm almost 50 years old. Let me tell you the last time I slipped and fell in my home. I can't think of it. The slip and fall <laughs> in our home is what professional athletes use when some shady shit has gone down that they had no business being involved in. Under the influence, not under the influence, I don't know. The last prominent athlete I can think of who fell down and 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 derailed a, a, a terrific athletic moment was Dustin Johnson, who slipped on a slippery floor the week of the Masters and, and missed the Masters and, and, a, and a good chunk of the season. We're supposed to pay $170, $180 million to a guy whose entire basketball identity is built on his physical strength and speed Homie is out of the league as far as I'm concerned. And all I want to do is S-T-R-E-T-C-H. What am I supposed to do? That's all. Incredible. I, I'm going to give my thoughts on that in one second. I, I want to do this read for you. Here's the thing about being a Boston sports fan this century house. With 12 titles and counting, it just completely ruins you as a sports fan. Suddenly you expect the title every year. 
or in our case, every four months. But that's the funny thing about better. Once you've experienced it, you can't go back. Like like how we've won 12 titles this century, which is the gist of that Hulu commercial I've been seeing everywhere. It's all about how Hulu has tons of shows and movies, exclusive originals like The Handmaid's Tale, plus live TV for sports. And that once you get Hulu, it'll ruin TV for you forever. Start your free Hulu trial today at Hulu, H-U-L-U. You might've heard of it, dot com. Live TV plan required for live content. Restrictions apply. Somebody wrote that for me and I just couldn't wait to read it to you, House. Um, I hate Hulu. <laughs> you love Hulu. I have it. I, I have it. We pay for it, but I hate that ad read. <laughs> F you, Hulu. <laughs> uh, so on uh, the Wizards thing... Anytime somebody falls in the dark, slips and falls, falls in the bathroom, I'm dubious no matter who it is. Like if if it was nephew Kyle came in and was like, sorry, I'm late. I fell in my apartment. I would just, I'm just, I'm just that kind of person. I'm just naturally suspicious of all people. So yeah. Do I wonder if there's a more of a story coming out? I don't know. I, You would really have to, I was thinking about it, You really have to fall down the stairs, right? That would be the only way this could yes. happen or miss a step. I could see if it was miss one of those things where you don't realize it's it's a step that you don't see and, and your foot hits it wrong and it could just... And he's also hurt now anyway, look, right? He has a bad knee. Yeah, well, and, and if I was going to be generous, the very best case scenario is it was the middle of the night and he was carrying his son and he took a wrong step. That That's what, you know, if you want to be, if you want to be a John Wall apologist and come up with a scenario where that's plausible... You say he's already kind of limping around, so he's not under normal body weight, you know, distributed evenly. He's carrying his boy. It's two thirty in the morning. Well, how about how old is his son? And... Not even two months, maybe three months. Oh, because I was gonna say if he has a kid that's like if he's like a four year old boy, then you have all those Legos and little trucks on the floor. I could see like tearing an Achilles stepping on that. I don't know. I'm not, I'm gonna see. We'll see if Kyle tears his Achilles in the next year. <laughs> with some shady Why don't you put that on me? his house? Why don't you put that on me, Bill? <laughs> uh, yeah, I don't know. It's it's always weird. I remember th- there was a Red Sox pitcher who cut his hand once in his hotel reaching for a glass that broke on his bed and it, it was like one of the all-time <laughs> dog ate the homework thing. This doesn't remind me of that. I, I'm, I believe in John Wall more than you on this story house. I think you're just scarred well, by John Wall. That's fine. You believe the story. When's he going to play basketball again? It's it's going to be a while, unfortunately. Wait, we didn't do the Zion Power Rankings. So you have the Knicks one. I also have the Knicks one. I know I have so many Knicks fans in my life. I know how much joy it would bring them. I think I might have Atlanta too. Oh wow! Because Washington have to would really be fun. Win but the not, lottery though. What if they're they're not they're going to win too many games? Yeah, but they also. Yeah, they would. They would. Um, Washington. Um, now that John Wall is out for like a year and a half, that probably wouldn't be too much fun if they got him. Phoenix just doesn't deserve him. They've just I been agree. bad for for four years now. Just awful. That would kind of right. make me mad. And then the wild card is if Dallas could somehow get in the top five. Do you see they're they're shelving Porzingis? Well, they should shelf Porzingis. They're going to win 35 games, though. They're not going to get in the top five. Yeah, but they could They get... have to trade into it. No, they but have they to get, get a, to like uh, seven. 
the the the, the team unfortunately oh, that no. I fear getting him yeah. is effing Chicago. And they are absolutely tanking enough to get God, him. if they if that they got Chicago in disarray. With that cheapskate Reinsdorf, he'd be like renting Zion out for kids' birthday parties for like five hundred bucks to make a little extra money. I mean, just him. think what Jim Boylan would have him doing in terms of uh uh you know, burpees and, and uh uh God. bear crawls. Unbelievable. Um yeah. it, I can't wait to see how it goes. I are you watching Zion? Because I keep getting sucked in. I was watching what, him what on do you Saturday. Mean? You keep getting sucked in. He's the most magnetic, mesmerizing college player since Kevin Durant. I know. What is there to get sucked in by? He's incredible. Every every time he's on the floor, something incredible can happen. Well, here's he's he, the second coming of LeBron. You, I hope you're watching all of him. Well, college basketball is bad. That's that's my my issue. The regular season <laughs> college basketball is just counter. hard to watch. But he's not bad. I'm watching them play St. John's, and the score was like forty to five. And, uh, and, <laughs> but Zion, it's, like, it's old school. Him around the rim is really out of control. I really love it. I, I can't, I really hope he goes to the right team. I hope he goes to a team with a point guard who can throw him an alley oop. Um, I hope he goes to a team with the right coach and a couple guys that play hard and just kind of get what he is. Sharks wrote this piece about how he's like a point center, basically. And I agree. I hope whoever gets him really explores the studio space of Zion and tries him in a whole different way. You and me both. Fingers uh, crossed. Fairway rolling. When is Fairway rolling coming back? Next one on this coming Monday, we'll have a wrap-up of the Pebble Beach Pro-Am and look forward to... Oh, shit. I don't know what tournament comes next. That, that is that sponsored by someone? Hold on. Let me look it up real quick. No, I think we... It might we're, be Riviera. We're leaving this in. What? Hold on. I think it's Riviera. Hold on. <laughs> podcast. Podcast. <laughs> what the... <laughs> Definitely not taking this out. I have to type with one hand so I can hold the mic. You know, the insane thing is I haven't even been drinking. February 14th to 17th, Riviera Golf Course. That is exactly what we're previewing. Yeah. The Genesis Open at Riviera. Tiger is back. Mm. In LA, it's a it, it's his foundation that's one of the beneficiaries of this tournament. It's going to be a terrific preview. Uh, Chris Vernon and I will have some uh, awful selections for ways to lose money, and we think we're going to have a pretty great surprise guest. Awesome, House, yeah. a pleasure as always. Uh, sorry about the always. John Wall's news, and uh, we'll talk to you soon. All right, before we get to Spike Lee, if you are listening to this podcast, you've already figured out smart ways to spend your time. Here's another one. The New York Times crossword app. The crossword app is a fun, clever way to stay sharp every day. A new puzzle, a new opportunity to challenge yourself and play. And now with the mini crossword, you can squeeze in a game in just a couple of minutes. Wow. Each mini puzzle is stimulating, quick, and most important, fun. Play by yourself or challenge your friends. Then post your best times to share the satisfaction that comes from solving. Whenever you have downtime, discover wordplay every day. It's time well spent. I've been doing this as I've been watching old Sopranos episodes. So there you go. That's how exciting my life is right now, baby. Sopranos. Um, check it out. Download the New York Times crossword app at newyorktimes.com slash mini. And since we're here, check out the awesome basketball podcast we have in here. Not just the Ringer NBA show, which is going four to five times a week these days. Winging it with Vince Carter, Kent Bazemore, Andy Finberg. Um, just an unbelievable slate of guests so far. And then the JJ Reddick podcast as well. So 
And who knows? We may be adding another basketball player after the All-Star break. You never know with us. Check all those out. Speaking of basketball, coming up for the first time ever, Spike Lee. Here he is. All right. We're taping this Friday morning. Mm. The NBA is basically exploding. Porzingis traded yesterday. This morning, Kyrie made it seem like he's just doesn't know what he's going to do starting July. Now everybody thinks KD and Kyrie are coming to the Knicks. Randomly, just today, Spike Lee in the house. First time we've ever done a podcast, and this is like suddenly the best day in Knicks well, history. Well, thank you for having me, and I don't think that it's random I'm here today. You think that? The spirits work <laughs> in a mysterious way. It really does. So I'm, I'm 61, and I've noticed that very rare things that's random or coincidence. Things, spirits, ancestors, all types of stuff are in play. And I've had this so, podcast for 12 years. I've been waiting for you. Now, all of a sudden, today is the day you show up. That's not a coincidence. I don't think it is. It's not random. Glad to be here, my man. <laughs> Glad to be here as cool, well. Cool, cool, cool. And you're wearing your Yankee hat. And you're wearing your, you wear your Patriot. <laughs> well, who's your football team? New York Football Giants. Okay. But growing up in Brooklyn, here's my four guys in Brooklyn. Okay. Mays, Ali, Walt Clyde Frazier, and Joe Willie Namath. Oh, wow. Namath. <laughs> were you, when my, you were, in fourth grade, we had a teacher named Miss Erba. Blonde hair, full breast. And her claim to fame was she went out to date with Joe Namath. Yo, wow. And we loved her. <laughs> and I asked Joe, name is, if I asked name, first time I said, Joe, do you remember this woman? We had a teacher. She said she went out to you. So name is Joe Willie says, so Spike, what'd she look like? I said, well, she was blonde. So you got to give me more than that. <laughs> <laughs> I said, she's got a buxom and blonde. I said, Spike. <laughs> we die laughing. <laughs> so you wrote a basketball book before I did, well, and it was I'm all about how you grew up in in MSG. In Brooklyn, yeah, and I was at Game Eight. I mean, excuse me, I was at Game Seven. Yeah, May eighth. Game Eight would have been amazing. No, no, I'm May eighth. Yeah, you went. I was there. The Willis Reed game. Greatest moment in Knicks history. You know, until today. Well, no, we had we won another <laughs> championship. But you know what's amazing about Cause, that? Because Havacek got hurt. When you stop, <laughs> who, who yeah, we going yeah, yeah. <laughs> Come on, that was that was a Havacek gave you that championship. He's playing left-handed in Game Seven, and I guess Buckner gave the Mets one too. Huh? <laughs> Whoa! <laughs> I guess Tim Wakefield gave us one too. Huh? We go back and forth all, all right. day, baby. I'm ready. I'm I know ready. All day stuff. for this. I know I'm not one of these okie doke Rudy Poo people. <laughs> guess you got me. <laughs> anyway, so. Uh, the Lakers. Yeah. Will Chamberlain. Jerry West. Elgin Baylor. Layup line. The, the biggest roar I ever heard in my life. The entire Laker team stopped, froze, turned around. The whole team, lit, three Hall of Famers. The whole team stopped their layup line. To see Willis Reed drag his leg on the court and Knicks won a championship. Then he hit the first two baskets. And Walt Frazier had 36 points. I think like. Walt Frazier eight, was amazing in that game. What was the loudest roar? The, when he walked out or the two, no, the two no, shots? No, when he came out. 
I've, I mean, I've been a lot of sporting events. Yeah. But when Willis came on, came on court, and I have a prized possession, the great Nick MSG photographer, George Kalinske. Yeah. I have the only photograph of Willis Reed getting the needle. Oh, I heard it was like a, wasn't like a two-foot needle? They, they, they had horse needles back then. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I had, the, I had the only print signed by Kalinske and Willis Reed. The needle's this big. Yeah. And he's on the trainer's table. I mean, and this was like 1970 when they didn't know smart ways to do this. They basically Uh, got veterinarian equipment to try to knock somebody's leg out. Even today, though, football. How many fingers? (laughs) They have one finger. How many fingers? Oh, go out there. Right. I mean, this concussion stuff, that's that's new. So I was saying, we did a podcast yesterday after Porzingis got traded, and I was saying that I felt like the Knicks fans had replaced Red Sox fans since we won, where— and well, here's why. It wasn't. So you've, how, you many more, years, how many years you was it? You have for 46 years, but we hadn't won for 86. But the point the point. No, we being, got for the Cubs in that too, though. But the Cubs won. I said, but until. Yeah. That one's 1908, right? But here's the thing. You have, you have these generations of Knicks fans, right? Mm-hmm. The Knicks start in 1946. <laughs> like, my friend William Goldman, the screenwriter who was going to those games all the time, he just died. Yeah. Late, 40, great. 45 great years mm-hmm. of his life. At the end there, he doesn't get to see it. But you have all these generations. I think that's what makes it different. You have Knicks fans ranging from age two to age 90 that well, have been kind of living and dying with this. Well, there's always hope. Now and, you have it. And now if we get, you know, what's, what's messed up, now they changed the rule. Yeah. So now it's the three worst teams get 14% chance. And if, they had to do that because Philly, they were tanking every Five straight years. So if we get blessed by the the basketball gods from above and uh, we get uh, Zion, it's over. Have you seen it's, Zion in person? No. The game they played at the Garden, I was out of town. But is this going to be like the, the Garden's going to be rocking if we get, if we have... Again, let me knock on. This is a nice table here. You cannot. This is wood. Yeah. But is this red? Is this Boston wood? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it might be the reverse jinx. We brought, but, uh, well, we brought it from South Boston, but it's wood. Oh, I'm not. I'm not <laughs> tapping on that. <laughs> so you think it's this is set up here? <laughs> this is a dope bean double cross. Have me tapping on. South Boston Wood. <laughs> Not going for it. <laughs> Unfortunately, we got it in LA. I wish we had about it in Boston. But uh, <laughs> Durant? Yeah. Kyrie? Zion? Without Den- Dennis Smith Jr.? Would you just stop making movies? What would happen? <laughs> you retire at age 61? You're done? Nah, I got another 20. But uh, You got another 20? Kurosawa was in his 80s. Clint so, Eastwood's so like eighty four. Who? Clint Eastwood's like eighty four, right? Well, I rather quote Kurosawa. Okay, fair. <laughs> and Fellini. <laughs> no disrespect to Clint, but that was a little. No, not at all. Because in film school, I saw Rashomon, yeah. and that was the gave me an ideal for my first film. She's right. the habit, so I that's remember. why. No disrespect to Clint, but and I got to meet. Uh, Akira. So, but uh, this is uh, is. Well, can you ask what your reaction was to Porzingis hearing about? I was that shocked. Trade? Were you so, upset? 
I don't know, because I was doing interviews yesterday. So I turned my phone off. I turn it on. Oh, no. It almost exploded in my head. <laughs> that's, a, that's a WTF. What happened? What happened? Yeah. So didn't you hear? Were you a believer in Porzingis? Until he got hurt. Because he had that 10-game stretch at the start of last year when it looked like he was going to be like a 30-12 and 12 guy. And, and then it tailed and, off and a little then, bit. He tell look, I, I was not that kid who was crying or, or saying at the draft. Yeah. I like this game. And here's the thing, though. In today's sports world, the players have so much control. And if you have a guy that doesn't want to be there, then you got to get what you can for him. That's yeah. just That's just the way it is. To have a guy on a team doesn't want to be there and the whole team sees that, it's it's not a good mix. My reaction when the trade, we did a podcast right after, and I was like, this is terrible, classic Knicks. But then the only thing in their benefit is I heard what you just said, I've heard over and over again from people connected to them. And I was like, he didn't want to be there. He was going to leave. Plus, we got two first-round picks, too, which we I The second imagine. one was nice. But at, at the very least, you can throw that those picks into another trade to get yeah. something else. So they have more options than they've had. The problem is to give up on a 23-year-old guy on a rookie deal who has the potential to be a franchise guy. That's but pretty they, rough. But, but you have to look at that injury, though. Right. and the And his height. The fact that there's seven foot three and yeah, up guys. Yeah, don't some really... guys six four, but to be seven three and have that injury. Yeah. Yeah, out of the tall, tall, tall guys, Kareem was the only one who seemed to just be able to be durable. You can't leave out Wilt though. Well, but Wilt got hurt that one year. Remember, he he hurt his he blew out his kneecap that one year. He missed the whole year. But he came back. Though. He came back. Yeah. But yeah, it's but just Wilt hard, was it's hard built to get like, Built was built like, you know. Did you see Wilt when he was, like, at what point nah, did you see him in person? Later on. Later on. I mean, the from my first memories of going to Nick game, my father was the 60-18 before they made the, the, the Busher trade. That so, team was good. I mean, we had the pieces, but it was when the Busher came, that's when it really came together. Late great. You know, he pitched, he pitched for the Tigers. I know. No, the, the White Sox are Tigers. No, he pitched for the Tigers. Yeah. The busher. And let's talk about this. What do you think your theory is? Yeah. When the late great Dave the Busher put his hand into the thing for the draft, was an envelope, was an envelope in the microwave or it come out of the freezer? No, it, was, it was Stern. Stern put it in there. I'm saying about when he was picking. So you I've, no, I've, no. The busher, his the the people would pick, they put the hand in the thing, the envelope. If it wasn't let, David Stern. No, Stern was the one who picked him out in a row. Stern was the one. That the thing was a little that bent. That makes it the, worse, though. It was a little bent on the if side. The commission was done. I thought it was. No, it was Stern, but it was a little bent on the side. I've freeze framed it because technology is better. It did look like he picked the one that the, <laughs> one of the sides was. So, Dave, I thought it was just a busher. So, so Stern was in on him. So. <laughs> If he did pull it off, it's the greatest magician trick of all time. If they had frozen the one envelope and he just like, I heard it, it was in. hot or cold. Just you just feel the hot one, feel the cold. Either yeah. one is like that's Patrick Ewing. Who uh, who's also the next day got my season tickets for the Knicks. Eighty four. The very next day. Oh, that was eighty five. Year what after Bernard. Whatever, Patrick Ewing. Yeah, spring eighty five. 
I got. Well, I, I went. I was online six a.m. the next morning. Got my season ticket. Were you Bernard guy or no? Bernard's from my neighborhood. Okay, Bernard Fort, was incredible that yeah, year. Bernard's from my neighborhood, Fort Greene. There's a hospital in my neighborhood, Fort Greene, Brooklyn, where Bernard was born there. Albert, Mike Tyson, and Michael Jordan. The same, it's called Cumberland Hospital. It's amazing. They were, and little Anthony, little Anthony Imperials, <laughs> and Dana Dane, all born in a hospital in my neighborhood in the People's Republic of Brooklyn, New York. Bernard, <laughs> Bernard went. <laughs> Bernard went head to head against the '84 Celtics. Oh, he can't. And, and Maxwell said he's not getting 40. Cobra, he, he said, that like bitch didn't get it. And he gave it again. And he gave it, and did it again. It was amazing. So every time the Celtics come to the garden, because he does the radio. Yeah. I always look at Cornbread. And he said, don't come over here. You side eye him. Because he knows I'm going to bring up Bernard King. <laughs> you used your movies to attack Larry Bird. I didn't appreciate it. But here's the thing, though. I didn't appreciate it at all. But here's the thing, though. You said he was ugly. No, no. He put John it, Savage in a Bird t-shirt and had him run over somebody's sneakers. I saw what you were well, doing. This, those weren't sneakers. Those were Jordan 4s. Yeah, exactly. No, this, this is real. Here's the thing. I have always admired Larry Bird. I've never said as he, you were disparaging him. No, no. Here's, yeah, let me use your character to the, disparage who's him. Who's the ghost? I mean, who's the guest on this? <laughs> <laughs> here's the thing, though. I've never, ever, ever. Larry Bird's a Hall of Famer, great player. My comments about Larry Bird were not directed to him. It was directed to the white media pushed him into position of being the savior, which he didn't want. He right. didn't ask for that. I agree with that. And so I met Larry recently. Really? We, yeah. We had a great talk. Did he we, know about the movie? Yes, he, man. The first time the movie came out, I was sitting courtside and Danny A was looking right at him and Danny A was sitting right next to him. Danny A was pointing at me and saying, yeah, that's the guy right there. So you guys, Danny that's true. But here's the thing. I had the utmost respect for Larry Bird. Larry Bird, all he wanted to do was play ball. It's true. He had the unfortunate situation where, because he was so great, and he was white, and he was Boston, he was put in the position of being the savior. I remember, if you watch back in NBA, CBS Sports, I'm not going to name announcers, Larry Bird was at the Boston Garden at 6 a.m. this morning, and he put up 20,000 right. shots. Kareem didn't work. Well, and Magic, Jabbar, too. Magic put I mean, in more work in his game. I than know, anybody. but that's not that was not the narrative. Yeah, it was always bird running in the garden around the laps. So I get it. My stuff was not meant to be at and Larry. We look. In fact, the when I saw when I met Larry last week, I brought up the whole thing that famous picture him choking. Oh, him and him and Doctor J. Yeah. I went to that game. So I'll tell you what, a gentleman. Larry is. He, he said, well, he plowed everything, downplayed everything. Then I spoke to Barkley and he told me what the real story was. Yeah. But that shows you how great a gentleman library. He didn't want to get into that. Well, he loved he, Dr. He, J. He but, loves Dr. J. Yeah. So he would he, he said, Spike, you know, we just had a, those things happen. You know what happened though? Because well, I went I know, to that game. Yeah. He was busting his ass and he started talking shit to him and Julius didn't like it. I know. Yeah. So I had the utmost respect for Larry. Great player. One of the greatest of all time. So 
we're cool. He used to be great in MSG. He used to love playing there. He used to oh, have great everybody. games. Everybody, if you, if, if yeah. you, if you, all the real players would come. To, I mean, come to if you come in the garden, you're not going out the night before, right? <laughs> That's one night after the game, maybe. Especially the team has to stay another two. But you come in the garden, you're going to bed nine o'clock, <laughs> right? <laughs> you might put other stuff for another city, but the New York. It's this, it's this, that's a, you know, the world's greatest arena. And and the other day, James Harden, he said, 61. You know what? Yeah. What did he say before the game? I've never had a garden, a garden moment. Yeah. But luckily, he, uh, one point sh- short of time, Mello's record. And Mello beat, oh, amazing story. I did this film, this documentary called Kobe Doing Work. Yeah. So we did the thing. But for the but for the DVD release, we we wanted to have a what do you call those things? Commentaries. Commentary. Thank yeah. you. So the only time he could do it when the Lakers came to the Garden. So we were scheduled to do the commentary after the game, and that's when we scored sixty points. Oh my God! Seriously, at the commentaries after the game, he scored sixty. Broke the garden, garden. They broke the garden. He's a spike. This all your fucking fault. <laughs> I'm blaming this shit on you. I knew we were doing a commentary. I said I was gonna break a record. And well, then, you went to the Carmelo game, right? I was there. He he left some on the table. He oh. came out with like four or five minutes left. He could have gone for seventy. Well, it always drives me crazy. I saw Camille the other day, and I said, "Do you know about the way?" Yeah, people hit me up. Yeah, Camille about the He could have gone for at least sixty-eight. Give me your uh, give me your top five because you did uh, this uh, in your book. Uh, players? Yeah, your top did five I saw right now. Or teams or players? Players, because you did this in your book, but you wrote your book twenty twenty what twenty years ago? Yeah, fifteen years ago. I know there's this debate, current debate about who's the greatest of all time. I don't want to do that because I, I think it's air specific. But I have to, I, I have to mention that knowing that this debate's come about since what LeBron said. Yep. And I don't know, you know, you bring a team back down 3-1, I don't know how to mix the greatest player of all. So for me, players I saw, MJ, born in Brooklyn, New York. <laughs> he grew up in North Carolina. <laughs> Michael Jordan. Okay. Kobe. Kobe too. Okay. Three. LeBron. You say it sadly. No, I got respect for LeBron. Even after he didn't come to play for you in 2010? That, yes, do it. Look, my thing is this. Do his best for you. Is it true you made a video to for the recruiting video for 2010? No, I was one of, there a whole bunch of people did it. So you but, did? Yeah. That thing was was not well thought out. It was because uh, LeBron and Wade were going there, and then they changed their minds. It did not go it, well. It, it, something messed up. Yeah, something happened. Some, one day the real story when LeBron retires, then he'll tell what happened with the Knicks. I I've think. been saying the real story from what I know What's for that? a while, and nobody actually believes me that What's LeBron that? and Wade were going there, and then it got screwed up. We'll find out the real story in like yeah. 10 once years. I mean, this is Wade's last year. Yeah. The truth always comes out eventually. All right, so LeBron three. So you got Jordan, Kobe. Magic. Magic four. Kareem? Kareem. Bird six man? 
look, is you always get in trouble when you list, you know, any list. So, but Bert, Bert, look, I got love for, and the thing about that I heard is that the brothers love Larry Bird. So that yeah. whole thing. So he was, he was cool with everybody. Yeah. He was cool with everybody. And he, and he, and he could talk smack. He could talk smack. So it's unfortunate that in my part, I was trying to use Larry Bird to make a point on the media how they hoisted him up. And then, well, you can't forget, you had the whole Boston Celtic, L.A. Laker dynamic. And you look at the history of Boston and African Americans. Look what, I mean, read Bill Russell's book. Yeah. I mean, the Red Sox, the last team, Pumpsy Green, the last, so... They ain't changing your Yorkie way for, for a reason behind that. So there's a complicated history with it's African Americans and, and boss. Oh, no doubt. It's gotten a lot better. They got a they got a Puerto Rican manager. I went to see Russell in t- at the end of 2012 because uh-huh. we did this documentary yep. about him for NBA TV. Right. And the whole premise was like, why don't you ever go back to Boston? Mm-hmm. Trying to figure out what happened. Right. And the stuff they he went through in the defecating on his bed. Yeah. I mean, it's crazy. I mean, they were like nine thousand people going to playoff games, in uh, and they're selling out hockey. So, I mean, he had real reasons. They weren't selling out those games in the South. Hell no, they didn't start selling out to the seventies. So even with the our back teams, they weren't selling out. No, Bob Cousy. No, Tommy Heinsohn. No, none of them guys. They weren't selling well, out. Part of it might have been basketball. Just but wasn't what about as popular? The finals weren't sold out or the regular season. The finals had to be sold out. I don't know. I don't think it was great. The ne- the Knicks thing. Um, what Knicks thing? Well, just the fact that you've been terrible this whole century, basically, except for like a nine-month span. Like, a, at what point do you look at this big picture and go, why is God doing this to me? Well, what did Red Sox fans say? What did Cub fans <laughs> say? <laughs> well, you guys got there first. <laughs> <laughs> What what was what was the cruelest moment of the last twenty years for you? Well, those I would tell you that those Pacer Knicks series. So you're going into the nineties. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> That's how far I have to go back. But when when Reggie Look, I also like to say, me and Reggie are cool. So yeah. These things happened 20 years ago. You know, all's good, all love, all good. When Reggie went off that game five, I woke up the next day. Because every morning I go to Corner Bodega, get the papers, get my coffee. Bagel, cream cheese, cut down the middle. <laughs> <laughs> the Bodega. <laughs> And so I go, I go to papers. I'm on, I'm on the front page, New York Newsday, New York Post, and New York Daily News. I'm on the front page. And game six is Marcus Square Arena. I'm like, no, I mean, I gotta go. But you were courtside. I know, but I'm saying though, it was a, a minute though that I wanna go. So. I land in Indianapolis, and there's like five TV crews there. And so I didn't go straight to markets. I went to visit Mike Tyson in prison. 
So all the inmates, they were getting on us. Nick sucks, Nick sucks, you know, that stuff. Wow, you're getting heckled by Indianapolis inmates. Yes. That's that's rough. It's a true story. So game six ended, you know, closing minutes. And the ushers start to surround the court where they have a rope. to stop fans to storm in the field. And thank God John Starks went berserk. We won. Because if Nixon lost game six, I'd have had to move. Right. I'd have had to move. <laughs> I don't know how it's going, but it would have been that serious. You, we did the 30 and, for and 30. Then, and then uh, we, Patrick hit the shot. Yeah, yeah. To put the, at the, we oh. did the 30 for 30 on this. You said you were actually in fear a little bit. Oh, Indianapolis? Yeah. The Klan was founded in Indianapolis. Yeah. No, they were... They, me and my guy, Al Palagona, they were, we had, and then, what's the owner, David Simon? Yeah. His son is a fucking asshole. <laughs> <laughs> and so, oh, Herb Simon. Yeah. 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 So, I'm trying to say, we need security. Yeah. And they're looking at him. Yeah, he's like, he came here. So, it was, I could I could gotten hurt. And then, that was game three. So then they had to call the NBA office. Then they assigned someone to me from the league. Yeah. But uh, I mean, if you saw you saw third and thirty, you know, you know the pennants? Yeah. They would turn the pennants upside down so it was a hood clan. It's in the it's in the piece. I remember. So I don't think that would go over well in the internet era. Well, they would be sending. They would be sending those pictures out pretty fast. Well, um, well they got those faces. <laughs> but anyway, that was Patrick and Patrick jumped on the stores. Famous picture jumping yeah. on the scores table. So we went to Houston. Yeah, up three two going into game two. six. Here's a story, my man. You know Al Palagonia. Yeah. So Al says, Spike, I got a scheme. So he was tight with Vernon Maxwell. So he had he had Vernon Maxwell up all he had Vernon Maxwell up to eight o'clock in the morning. Oh, that was smart. Didn't work. <laughs> <laughs> it didn't matter. We understand. He does it all he did it all the time. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and then uh It's like Iverson. Some guys just didn't sleep. Oh yeah. And then You know, there's always going to be a talk. Um, and I love Starks, who's my, one of my favorite players. And what is he, three for 21? Somewhere. Something like that in game seven. But game six, like, they had a chance to win in the last minute. And that's that was my fundamental problem but with th- that th- team, There's though. the thing, I think, the Patrick was open and somebody up. Yeah. But who's the guy to guard? He was great with the Dallas Mavericks. Derek Harper. No, the other one. Oh, Orlando. Yeah. Orlando, I don't want to get my brother in trouble, but he would go to his grave thinking that he would hit some shots. Right. But he didn't. Wasn't that the fundamental problem with that team, though? That in in a must-win game in the road, the second kind of creator slash score in that team was kind of John Starks, which I know, he's but just a, too hit or miss. I know, but hey, John, I love you, baby. So 
no disrespect. But is I I don't put that's not John John Stars can't put himself in a game. Right, he's gonna that, do that. That's that's on Pat Riley. Right. We were born the same day, March twentieth. So Pat, you gotta give me some slack for this. My brother. Rolando. Rolando, you thought he should have gotten some. He more would run. tell you that himself. Yeah. What about did Charles Smith get fouled? Is it the Bulls? Yeah. Four four block steals in like two seconds. He has to try to dunk the first one. Agreed. He was six eleven. He was going up like he was a guard. Yeah. See, I think that was the worst <laughs> Knicks loss. That was we the worst one. We were up two zip, right? Two zip. They win the next two. You got game five, but you also have seven at home. And you basically, you win that game. Bulls probably win six, but then you got seven in MSG. You know, it's been all, even if Charles, I look, we're talking about something that happened how many years ago? 25, 26. Even if Charles Smith had made that basket, Michael Jordan would have found a way to win. That's the part everyone forgets about that game. He still would have had like eight seconds left. We've seen it before. The man's ability to put his in, in to put his will. He would have found nowhere in the world was Michael Jordan gonna lose the finals. Yeah. That's how I feel. It's not gonna happen. So of course Charles Smith should have made the layup, but MJ, the black cat, black Jesus. <laughs> I thought Earl Monroe was the black Jesus. What? I thought Earl Monroe was black Jesus. Wasn't that his yeah, actual they, nickname? Yeah, that was the first, but they had it, you know. He passed along? Passed along. Yeah. But, and so that's why, that's why when you get into the, the whole LeBron, how many finals has LeBron lost? A lot. He's also had some ignominious exits. Look, Jordan's Jordan really only had one bad one, and when he came back from baseball and Orlando beat them, that was the only time he's kind of... Didn't it, didn't what's his name steal the ball from him or something like that? Nick Anderson Nick did, Anderson. yeah. But he missed some free throws, though, right? The In the finals, yeah. In the yeah. finals. I'm still, I wrote my book 10 years ago, and it was like, look, Jordan's the best part ever. I'm not having this argument again. It's over. And now LeBron. LeBron brought it back. Well, because he's because of the longevity. I think that's what's changed. He's having this Kareem type. He's going to have a 20-year career where he basically has not gotten hurt is, and has been incredibly hurt successful. This, how, how long was he out for the groin injury? He just came back. I know. That last was his night, first but real I'm, injury. Yeah, 17 many, games. Here's the thing that I like to say, which a lot of, not you, but because you knew more than me. But if you add up all LeBron's playoff games. It's like it's like two more seasons. That's two more seasons. It's, it might be three, actually. We, we got to do the math, but. Well, I looked it up. He's, he's had, he's played additional, at least two more seasons. He's. Because he's going to the last. He's going to the finals every year. He's, Whether he wins or loses, he's going to the finals. He's at 55,000 minutes if you add the NBA, the regular season, and the playoffs. But as you know, the playoff minutes are like, they count like a minute and a half. So it's so intense. Look, so the, I don't know how long guys, he's going to do it. Look, I got number love of LeBron. And we have to pick sides because I don't think they like each other now. I think there's some beef. Between. MJ and LeBron. I think there's some beef. When has MJ ever said anything bad about anybody? I didn't since say, he's... say anything publicly. Oh, I what? don't think MJ likes the GOAT stuff. 
When you're the goat, you don't like goat conversations. But all Michael said, he's, I mean, he said this recently. I've never, ever said I'm the greatest because I never played against the great players of other eras. He's against that stuff. You think it's a coincidence that he has a 10-hour documentary coming out now celebrating his life right as this LeBron no, thing not, hits out? No, it's been, a great It's a great move by they've him. They've been working. That thing's been on the shelf for years. You looked at it for a while. I well, they decided to go another direction. No, I remember <laughs> when I was at ESPN, I remember we were trying to, we had that they legendary. Went, all I can say is they went another direction. You had it though. You I looked never, at it. I remember. My brother. I, mean, I don't know. I was there. <laughs> they went. I wanted the, you to do it. They they went another direction. Yeah. Um, greatest five New York City point guards ever. Well, I'm not gonna put them in order, but no, no, you don't tiny, have to put them in order. Tiny Archibald. Okay. Oh, give me the Mount Rushmore. Give me a Mount. What, give me four. Mark, Mark Jackson. Charlie Scott was from Harlem. Oh, see, Charlie Scott's like he's the one of the lost guys. I know. Charlie Scott averaged like 35 a game in the NBA one year. Lenny Wilkins, Boys and Girls High School. So you just listed four. How many you say? How about most talented? Is Steph in the most talented four? Oh, oh how could it be my brother? Hey, just Abraham Lincoln, a rail splitter. Same school, Jesus Shuttlesworth. I was, how much of he got game was Steph Marbury? Like stuff you witnessed. And- if you asked, if Steph was right here, we say that there's about his, about, him, that's not true. But uh, the similarities because it's point guard and, and, you know, it's Brooklyn and it's Coney Island, but the, the whole father-son thing and all that other stuff. But uh, definitely, but you know who might make it too? Who? He's going to be a freshman next year. Uh-oh. Cole Anthony. Oh, I saw highlights of this guy. Greg He's Anthony. lightning fast. The, do- the, the son of Crystal and Greg Anthony. Oh, he's Greg Anthony's son? Yes. I didn't know that. Yes. What school is he going to? He's at Oak Hill now. That's where I saw it. And they have some other kid on that team who's supposedly amazing too. Yeah. The internet has a way of getting these kids into the public eye now. This guy, the son of Crystal and Greg Anthony, he's he's, he's going, I'm not, I can't say where he's going, but he's coming to the league. Greg Anthony, respectable performance in that one fight when he was in street clothes, but still got involved. <laughs> Remember that one? Oh, you know what killed us? That was a good one. What killed us? That that series against Miami. The fight. Where the, that auto, was a good the, team. the guys came off the... At the end, end of the game, why did Charlie Ward do that? The game's over. This is two times, because the 2007 Suns, that was the other team when that kind of changed the course of history. Then the next game, we had like eight players. The, they, they suspended the yeah, whole team. It was terrible. When did you feel like when you were sitting courtside, the guys on the other team were not only aware of you, but felt like they had to interact with you in some way as like a rite of passage? Well, I wouldn't say interact. Here's the thing. The whole thing with, with Reggie Miller blew it out of proportion because. I'm not well, even saying like I'm, talking I'm, I'm shit. Just, no, no. I'm saying like even pay for, respects. They always get lineups. You know the uh, the pregame lineup or at uh, or halftime usually come by. So that was happening in the nineties, like before Reggie. Yeah, do the right thing. Came out eighty nine. So it Max started came there. Out, it really started. She, I mean, I wasn't sitting. I wasn't sitting courtside. Yeah, when did you get courtside? I moved down every year. <laughs> they moved me down, so I couldn't afford courtside. Yeah. In fact. They weren't selling those seats. 
They gave out the celebrities. Then they got smart. We could sell these tickets. Right. I can't remember the year, but when I started sitting courtside, I mean, I would always, the players would, you know, where my seats is, as they come around on, on uh, the label line, they, it's, it's right there, you know, in front of my seat. So I've always been, you know, the thing with Reggie Miller, that put it out of, out of uh, I say nothing to Michael Jordan. Well, that would have been stupid. You can't talk oh, to really him. Oh, really? You can't no, talk to He would give Jordan. me a wink away, but when he's on the court, man, he's not like, like hey, yeah. you doing, hey, you doing. Mm-mm, it's all business. Let me tell you this story. I never said this before. Oh, I'm, I love those words. When I was in an early year when the Celtics were real good. That's every year. But when it McHale, that team. Yeah. Though Paris, those guys. You know, I, look, I look, people, the whole Boston, New York thing is is complicated. But anyway. <laughs> before the back then, the garden, they would let people even if they weren't in your seats, they will let you stand behind the basket and watch the late line. And I was like, Mikhail was looking at me. And I was looking at him. I said, Kevin Mikhail, you suck. And he looked at me. He didn't say nothing. And I felt so stupid. I never said it before. And 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 then just being Corsi and the abuse. The athletes have to take the yeah. thing. It's amazing that, and I say I say this being, you know, guilty of that, right? And the way he looked at me, I said I can't, I can't never. And, and ever since I've been very, so you reined it in. I, I how I mean the abuse. It's amazing the athletes don't choke motherfuckers left and right. That the artist melee hasn't happened nine like, times. Oh yes, it's it's the abuse app, and because. It, it, it's, it's really, really horrible. I remember it's game, horrible. game six, 86 finals, Houston-Boston, the day after the Samson fight. And Samson came into the garden. We were like ready for him. We had Samson is a sissy signs. I was holding one. And he came in and, and the anger, it took him out. He was done. He had like eight points. Yeah, well, he was done. Like he could feel, you could feel the energy. As, as you know, everybody's not built for it. Some right. people, you have people, athletes that they'll, they'll use that. You know, to get them fired up. You know, other right. people like they shrink. Um, I had Denzel on the podcast about six months ago. Yeah, and I Denzel? asked him. Yeah. Well, you're not gonna believe this, but he's very excited to talk about. I had heard a he got game story, so I'll get your version of it. Uh-huh. That he was supposed to lose the game ten yes. nothing, yes. and he rope a dope Ray Allen. <laughs> what is your version of the story? Well, first, I'd like to say we're talking about Denzel. Denzel played junior varsity at Fordham. Yeah. Oh, he's he's proud and, to and, talk and, about and it. PJ Charisma was his coach. Yeah. So, in the scripted version, the father-son battle and the he got game. The way I wrote it is that Jesus shoulder is supposed to be his father, Jake, 12 zip. Now, Ray is never, this is his first film. So Ray is like, we gotta do what the script is exactly. Denzel did not tell me. But I knew that no way in the world was Denzel not going to try to score a basket. <laughs> <laughs> because Denzel still considered himself a baller. Yeah. So we start filming, and Denzel's just throwing up some lucky shit. It's just humble. It's humble. I mean, he's banking shit in. I mean, it's like crazy. 
And you're just filming the whole time. You oh, want I'm them to go. Them play. Yeah, yeah. So after I think like there was six something. Ray said, "Look, he's instead of saying uh, cut, he's saying timeout. <laughs> he's making a timeout sign like the referee. Timeout, timeout." And the great Susan Batson, who's one of the most phenomenal acting coaches. She's screaming at him, what are you doing? What are you doing? What are you doing? Denzel's laughing. <laughs> and Ray comes to me and says, Spike, the script says I'm supposed to win 12 nothing." <laughs> and, and he looks at me. I'm like, I go like this. What do you want me to do? <laughs> what do you want me to do? So for Denzel, it was a moral victory. Yes, yeah, seriously. Because he has scored, I think, five or six baskets. He scored four. Four. So he said he told Ray beforehand, he's like, yeah, I've never been able to go left, but then went left. <laughs> I, like he, that's he something I was seed. not privy yeah, to. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He was trying to pull some Jedi mind trick right, on so him. So it's, and Denzel's very proud of his performance in the film because he scored those back and on. He's a Hall of Famer. I got to say, that's one of my favorite sports movie scenes ever because I know, because Denzel starts talking shit to him. <laughs> And like real life comes into the scene, and Ray oh. Allen, you can see him like being like, oh, oh, Ray, getting mad. Ray knew that this film's gonna be seen, and he knew that <laughs> his fellow players were getting on his ass. <laughs> like, I know he played Malcolm X, but you let that guy score. <laughs> That's gotta be like the greatest, secretly the greatest achievement of Denzel's career. He put up four points on Ray Allen, who that, was. That was some lucky stuff, though. But it went in. <laughs> he was banking it. And he didn't even do release. Ray Allen. So he, because he's a novice, his first film, he didn't think he had the, you know, the get up on Den the D. And Denzel's competitive, you know. So you want to look like a punk out there. So he's going to try to. And also, it was a better. It was better than I wrote. I agree. It was better than I wrote because you, the father has to, the son has to win in the end. But you got to see the father score some baskets. There's got to be some father, son, I'm still I'm still your dad. Kinda. Exactly. I agree with that. Exactly. You ruined Hoosiers for me. Why is that? That oh. was like my favorite sports movie ever. And then I read your book about it and you pointed out. Christmas at high school. You pointed out how, how, uh, how racist it was at the end where the Hoosiers team is playing the black, the all black team with the coach who has the four point lead, who's just becomes a moron at the end of the movie. But you know, uh, Oscar Robinson was on that team. Right. Well, he was on, he wasn't, there was the one team that he was went based to high on school, Hoosier. He went to yeah. play on Christmas Addicts. It was like then, four was years only, later. There was one black, there's only one black high school. It was Christmas right. Addicts in Indianapolis. I think the Hoosiers team was like 1950 and then Oscar's team was mid fifties. But Look, Hollywood, but you, you torch that movie. Hollywood, come on, you know how that goes. But you know, the, I know you're going to give me the greatest documentary, Hoop Dreams. There's not, I mean, basketball documentary. You think that is the greatest? Hoop Dreams. Oh yeah, it's been often imitated ever since. Well, that's what happens when uh, you set the standard. You know, people try to. Imi what imitate. about what about that seventy fish that say Pittsburgh? Where are you standing on that? It's funny. Fast break. Bernard's Gabe, in fast what's break. It, what Gabriel Kaplan? Kaplan, right? Good. Well, welcome back, Kyler. Yeah. Kotler. 
It's fun to see those guys. <laughs> Mike Warren's in that. Harold Munch. Sylvester. What was the one with Shaq? That's Blue Chips. Nick Nolte was a coach. Yeah, but Shaq and Penny Hardaway. It's it's hard to do. I mean, it's boxing's the easiest sport I think to rec- to recreate in 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 the narrative film. But yeah, basketball it it, it just looks football. What about North Dallas Forty? I the seventies movies still hold up for me. <clears throat> I think North Dallas Forty still holds up. And Bad News Bears, that was good. Bad News Bears and Bad News Bears Two was pretty good too. Um, Slapshot still holds up. Longest Yard, I think, whoa, still whoa. holds up. Let's let's don't skip over Slapshot. Who's the star of it? Paul Newman. Paul Newman. Cool Hand Luke. Yeah. Cool Hand Luke. And Longest Yard still holds up. Oh, let me tell a story. So I'm getting ready to do Twenty Fifth Hour. Yeah. Phenomenal want, movie, by the way. Thank you. And I want to put, put up uh, the Cool Hand Luke poster in Edward North's apartment. So I make the call and they say you got to call Paul Newman for permission so I get his office number I'd never met him before he says come on over Spike so I came to his office we had a good talk gave me the blessing to use it then after this then after the film was done I called him again and he signed it for me really and what people forget about Paul Newman Marlon Brando uh, Peter Law guys like that they were marching with uh, Dr. King. They were writing big checks. They were pulled in by uh, Sidney Poitier, Belafonte. Those guys were very, very involved. A lot of people have let them out. They were really, really behind the movement. Not just writing checks. They were marching, you know, with with uh, King. So I, I want to bring it up. Paul Newman right? and the stuff he's done with his uh, charities. Yeah. That's my man. Cool hand Luke. Bill Russell, you have a relationship with him? Not really. Because he was another one who was at who was at the forefront of a lot of that. Oh, stuff yeah, yeah, 60s. yeah. But you know, Bill, if you don't know you, he looks like you're crazy. <laughs> <laughs> and my father-in-law and him uh, played golf together. So I had yeah. to tell him, George Lewis. He said, Oh, then I was okay. But if you don't know you, you just go up, walk up to him. And that's, that's just, I'm not mad at him. That's just, that's just the way it is. You know, when you got nominated for Black Klansman mm-hmm. and they said this is Spike's first nomination. Well, well, let's, I, we gotta be specific. No, I mean for, the, for directing. And picture. And picture. So I was like, that can't be true. It's I was true. like, I've been here the whole time. It's true. And I follow this stuff, but I've had two websites that were sports and pop culture. So I was like, no, he got, and then I went through and it was like, oh. Screenplay for, uh, do the right thing. Well, eighty nine, the the do the right thing. No, I know, but the the, the not getting picture in eighty nine is one of the I biggest mean, Oscar but, travesties but, but before, ever. Thank you very much. But before I'm not saying that sucked you I up. Know, no, I've but you got to get nominated first to win. We only got two nominations. It was outrageous. Screenplay and Danielle lost out to Denzel for Glory, and then I won. Had I nominated for my documentary for Little Girls about the bombing of the 16th Street Baptist Church. And so... So what So what do you think happened 30 years later in 89? I'll tell you. Not exactly. getting nominated. Because as you've... I mean, you've gone on record talking about Driving Miss Daisy. Very good question. I think what has happened is that, um, specifically with the Academy, with April Rain starting Oscars So White, and then the then 
president of the, of the Academy of Motion Picture Sciences, uh, Cheryl Boone Isaacs. They, with the the link, and Miss Isaacs, Cheryl Boone Isaacs, with the, which is probably hard. To, let me start again. Okay. What happened, I think, is that two things happened. With April Rains. Oscar So White, hashtag Oscar So White. Right. And Cheryl Boone Isaacs, who then was the president of the Academy of Motion Picture Arts and Sciences. Those two combined made the Board of Governors realize they had to open up the voting membership of the Academy. And not just have 78-year-old white people? It had to be open up. It's, it had it's to open up. A and radical so, idea. <laughs> and with this opening up of the membership, Moonlight, a whole lot of films, especially this year, the nomination have not been there because it is more diversified. And the Academy looks more like the United States of America now right. than it has in the past. That makes sense. 89, I mean, here, here's a perfect example. I would say that the Academy of Motion Picture Arts and Sciences in 1990, they voted on the films the year before, they're much more much more comfortable with the the character of Hulk, who's driving this daisy, than yes. Mookie <laughs> bugging out. <laughs> and definitely Ray Raheem <laughs> with that boombox blasting. Yeah. Fight the power. It's so funny how the Oscars work. We talk about it a lot. We've done a million podcasts on it. Mm. Get Out was a good example last year. It right. was like 10 years from now, I know Get Out is going to be the memorable movie from that year. But for whatever reason in the moment, they vote for Shape of Water. It's like, I know how this is going to play out. 10 years from now, people be like, oh, that was the year Get Out came out. Well, and it was so clear with your movie. I remember seeing your movie. I think it was in Cambridge. Yeah. And like- Explain for one thing. Cambridge, you're right. And kind of stumbling out of it. Be like, what the fuck just happened? That was, that was amazing. And um, John Savage was wearing Larry Bird's jersey. Well, he stepped up and, he, and he stepped on bugging out. I was mad about the John Savage thing. I got over that. But it was just such a it was just such a movie that I'd just never seen before. And I think sometimes the Oscars doesn't know what to do with that. But here's you know? the thing, though, is that which I've come to understand. And that was not the first time it happened with the I mean, this happened before. Happens all the time. Rage and Bull did not win. What won? Ordinary people? How about Pacino didn't win for Godfather too? Well, 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 well here's, here's my, let's talk about this. Al Pacino won for the of a woman. Right. In 93. Over, over Denzel's Malcolm X. Right. That was Pacino tough. did not win for Godfather 1, Godfather 2, Serpico. Well, that was like a makeup Dog Oscar. Afternoon. Yeah. And, uh, and Justice for All. So you could say that Denzel's training day, training day, the was a makeup call because, although he was awesome in training day, but he had to win for that one because they screwed up in ninety three. But look, look what Pacino, Godfather, Godfather two, Dog Day, Afternoon. Do you know in seventy four Serpico and Adjust for All, and you don't win. He lost in 74 and so did Nicholson in Chinatown. And they lost to Art Carney and Harry and Tonto. It's tough. How old was Art Carney? 
He was like 80. There you he was go. Skipping to the, skipping to the. <laughs> Look, no this disrespect. is all working in your favor. 15 years from now, you're, you're definitely going <laughs> to. Oh, oh, wait you're a 76. <laughs> <laughs> you just got to wait it out. <laughs> love it. They love the old 30 people. 30 years ain't long enough. <laughs> <laughs> but again, and I, 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 the other day I had a conversation with Marty about this. We don't do, that's not the reason why I make films. And the great stuff is going to be seen, a, a new generation. No one, I'm saying this respectfully, but no one is watching Driving This Daisy now. I would say 20 years ago, either. Do the Right Thing is in the Library of Congress. Well, Do the Right Thing also, this decade. Yeah. It and, took on a new meaning, context, yeah, everything. With, with, with the Errol Gardner. Yeah. Chokehold. And this year is going to be the 30th anniversary of the film. I know. That's why I brought it up. Well, look, you know a lot. <laughs> Even though you're a Red, a Red Sox fan. <laughs> a Patriot fan. <laughs> Let me ask you a question. I mean, Radio Raheem gets choked to death by a cop right. in that movie. That was 30 years ago. But it was based upon something happening. Like six things, right? Yeah. The thing about Do the Right Thing was where we we had the forecast on gentrification. We're talking about, and Do the Right Thing, which I wrote the script in 88, we had, we forecast gentrification, global warming, a whole bunch of stuff. We have people talking about that that's, that's prevalent today. Police violence, police brutality. Yeah, police brutality, a whole bunch of stuff. And uh, it's, a, it's a blessing. Well, one of the great things about that movie, and I, I, I never understand how people pull this off. I'm not saying this to kiss your ass. There's like 13 distinct characters in that movie. Mm -hmm. Maybe even more. I don't know what the exact number is. Right. That you kind of feel like you know, and they're not even really in it that much, mm -hmm. you know? And I think that's, for me, the legacy of the movie is the way it's shifted over the 30 years right. with what's happening in culture. Mm -hmm. But also just like the characters, I just right. hadn't really seen that. Do the Right Thing was Rosie Perez's first film. Yeah. Martin Lawrence's Martin first Lawrence film. Martin Lawrence is in it. Robin Harris' first film. Uh... Jungle Fee was Halle Berry's first film. So we, we, and, and I got to give credit to uh, Robbie Reed, who was my casting director. So a lot of these people, you know, I, that that she had known in L.A. So she was in L.A. So I got, got, got to meet the talent out there. It's weird that you don't get mentioned. I think maybe just because you're, you're so famous now, mm -hmm. but the whole independent, um, kind of thing that started happening late 80s through the 90s and yeah, all these uh, people making money, Kevin Slur Smith making clerks, all that Jarmish, stuff. But you uh, made that, would you make it for like 200 grand? She could have it? Yeah. 175,000. <sighs> two so weeks? We shot six, two six-day weeks. July, two six-day weeks? Yeah, Sunday you take off. July 1st, July 14th. Where'd you get the 175? We were doing crowdfunding because before there was crowdfunding. Really? I mean, there was no technology, but the principle of crowdfunding, you know, we were doing it. Phone calls. Did you know what number you had to get to or it was just like, as soon as whatever, I get enough, whatever, let's go. Whatever we got, we got to go with. That's that's what it was. 175, I wonder what that is now. What would that be like? Two million now? One million? No, in 85, 
What's 175 and 85? I don't know what the equivalent is now. Well, we're talking year. We shot at 85. Yeah. So it's probably like 1.5 million now or something. You think so? I don't know. I don't know. Larry Bird made 600,000 in <laughs> 1985 and now LeBron makes 35 million. I don't know. I don't know what money that's is what, anymore. I, a, express, that's stupid money. <laughs> stupid money. So then after Do the Right Thing, I mean, you did Jungle Fever, but Jungle when, did, Fever. when did you start really eyeing Malcolm X? Was that always in the back of your head or was that like well, once you had these opportunities, you well, thought about uh, it? The, the story is that uh, the great director, Norman Jewison, was attached to the film with Denzel. And was announced, I made it publicly known that, you know, I would like to be considered for the for this role. And the, the producer, Marvin Wirth, great guy, uh, managed Lenny Bruce. And he always, you know, he's one of those guy who's seen everything. Yeah. He arranged a meeting where Norman Jewish and I sat down. And uh, Norman, I mean, Norman gracefully, he didn't have to do that. I always give credit to him because it was his film. His, he had a deal. Then that was playing Malcolm X and Norman Jewish was playing, excuse me, was directing film. And he, it was his job. And he gracefully bowed out, which he didn't have to do. So I always give credit to uh, Norman for that. It's weird if a white guy directs that movie. I don't know. Well, that I wasn't, you know. I'm, I mean, I'm decision. glad you saw that. Yeah, it's his his decision, and uh, I thank him for that every time I can because he didn't have, he did not have to do that. You stumbled into something. Well, I you sh I shouldn't say stumbled because it was intentional, but the way you marketed that movie with the X hats, mm -hmm. I remember in the moment thinking like, "This is fucking smart." <laughs> like it, it well, felt it thing, was though. like this viral advertising. Everybody, there was a six-month stretch. Everybody wanted those hats. Mm -hmm. And the movie I, hadn't come out yet. Very early on, I understood that I had to beat my own drum. Yeah. Coming from independent cinema, I was not going to have millions of dollars on TV ads, stuff like that. People forget. On June 30th, 1989, Dude Right Thing opened the same day as Tim Burton's Batman. Was that the a same day. Was that a mistake? No, it's called uh, culture. Oh, it's called counter programming. Yes, but no way in the world is Universal, and then no, no should they have spend the amount of money that Bob Daly and Terry Semel gonna will spend on on bat. I mean, that's Tim Burns Batman. Prince did the score. Jack Nicholson. Well, there was some weird shit going on with with do the right thing that people were like were worried about. Oh, well, that's, it might yeah. be an incendiary movie. Well, there like, were there's several. Was, David Denby. Down the New York, the New Yorker. Yeah, Jack I remember that. Crow. Not great. This, uh, uh, be careful. Be careful what happens in the theater yeah, when it, you see it, this it, movie. It, blood might be on Spike Lee's hands. This film can incite black people to riot all over the country. You know, crazy shit. Yeah, that stuff has not aged well. So, you know, they, they look stupid. Yeah. And this other guy, Joe something, what's his name? Joe Klein. Joe Klein. Yeah, I remember that. I saw that motherfucker <laughs> <laughs> on the cellar. We were going, going from New York to, I didn't say nothing. I gave him a look, though. You side-eyed him? My head was turned both ways. Like this, <laughs> like that. <laughs> he didn't say nothing. But he knew what that, and none of those guys ever said, all right, Spike, I fucked up. They never, have never. Send you a letter? Nothing. Mm. Um, 
Yeah, it's like how you want to make you fucked up when you blaspheme Larry Bird, the greatest <laughs> greatest forward of all time. Me and Larry Bird. You should cool send him though. a letter. Me and Larry, it, there was no letter. Me, no reason for me to have a letter. We spoke like this. Uh, and uh, well, I just say that. So yeah. I knew that I had to beat my own drum. Yep. And the person I've never said this before. You had a lot of firsts. Yeah. The person I learned from was Madonna. Really? Oh, she was the master. The person that Spike Lee learned how to market me, my brand, my films, was from Madonna. She True she story. was the first one who figured all this shit out. She had it. She changed her look every year. Yep. Everything was, was calculated. I was thinner. Madonna. So thank you, sister. Madonna. Were you selling the hats? Who was selling the hats? Me. How many did you sell? She's going to have it. I was selling. She's going to have it. T-shirts in front of the motherfucking theater. <laughs> <laughs> how True. Much, how many hats you sell? Do you remember? Uh, we sold a ton. And then the, like a people, million the people. Nah, not a million. But people doing bootleg stuff. So yeah. Oh, that's yeah. But it was be a phenomenon, though. Do you and, feel? And then at the end credits of Malcolm X, we show various people who who gave us money to finish the film. So you see, there's a shot of Michael. And uh, Magic wearing a... I remember. An X hat. When that happened, it was game over. Oh, yeah. That that was... Uh, How much Let me tell you that story? No, please do. Well, we never got the correct budget, the appropriate budget for Malcolm X. Seriously? Yep. But we everybody knew that. I knew it. Warren Brothers knew it. The Bond Company knew it. So we always knew that doomsday doomsday would arrive, that day of reckoning where we were out of money. So we had planned the schedule. We would start in September, break for the holidays, and finish in South Africa and Egypt. And so once we came to that break, uh, we were told that... uh, we have to cut the budget. They want to shoot on the Jersey Shore instead of instead of Egypt. Yes. Oh no. <laughs> and uh, it was it was a very it was a rough time. Yeah, because the those two locations don't look alike. And and then another thing. The first time we showed Malcolm X to Bob Daly. And Terry Summer, who ran the studio, was the day, I swear to God, it's the truth, was the day on the Rodney King verdict. Oh, no. The same day. And that cut was four hours. <laughs> but to their credit, Bob Daly and Terry Simmel stayed throughout the whole four-hour screening while L.A. was up in flames. Jesus. So their assistants are coming in every, hour, every half an hour were like, Notes and stuff, and they would. We need to get a helicopter. I mean, it was like, I know they were talking here. I'm saying, you need a helicopter. I mean, it was. L.A. was in flames, and to that credit, I know I'm repeat myself. I gotta give them love. The the, the co-presidents of Warner Brothers, Bob Daly and Terry Simmel, stayed throughout the four-hour cut. Jeez. So, they say Spike. So later on, we we knew. No way in the world do we expect it to be four hours. We just want to see what it looks like. So then we had a three-hour cut. 
And they said, Spike, we cannot release a three-hour cut. The reason why studios don't like the longer lengths is because that means there's one less screening right. at the theater. It's You have to do 7 o'clock So at the same time, I'm doing Mount Warp, doing Malcolm X. Warren was also JFK. That and was like three hours. You kill my story here. <laughs> <laughs> my brother, slow down. You can't, we can't. So, so I know they can release JFK. So I say, I say, how long is JFK? It says like two hours. But they don't know I know Oliver Stone. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so I call Oliver. Oliver, how long is JFK? Spike is three hours. Don't tell them that. <laughs> See, directors, you know, we're going to look out for each other. <laughs> so they didn't know that I knew Oliver. And JFK was three hours. I said, all right, fuck it. We're keeping it three hours. So I was not going to cave. Warner Bros. let the Bond company take over the movie. And the Bond company promptly fired everybody. All the people, editors, everybody fired. And uh, we couldn't work. And I, I got paid $1 million for, for Malcolm X. And I put that entire salary into the movie. Jesus. So I, I didn't have any more money yeah. to put in a film anymore. So during this film, in, in pre-production of the film, one of the most important books I ever read was the autobiography of Malcolm X was told to Alex Haley in junior high school. And had had to re, restudy Malcolm, and the thing that kept coming to my mind was self-determination, self-reliance. Self-determination, self-reliance. I said, damn, that's it. I knew I, I could call up prominent African-Americans that had money. I, had, I mean, not through the assistant. Or I had their phone number. I call up, call them up. But the tricky thing is this. I was asked, I really, I was had my Yankee hat hand out begging. The tricky thing being that this, the money I was asking for could not be an investment. It could not be a tax write-off. This just had to be a gift. So I made my list. First person I called was Bill Cosby. He said, how much you need? I told him. He said, Spike, I'll send you put it in the mail. I said, no, no, no. So I got in the subway, <laughs> ran to Bill Cosby's brownstone, rang the bell, hand me the check. I didn't even come inside because I had to get to the bank before he might change his mind. Right. <laughs> Boom. So, uh, Tracy Chapman. Tracy Chapman? Tracy Chapman. Wow. Janet Jackson. Magic was involved, right? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> OMG! My brother, let me tell the motherfucking story! <laughs> You're killing it! I didn't know you were going in order. Yes! All right. Miss Winfrey. <laughs> There's a woman named Peggy Cooper Cape, who's just philanthropist who just passed. Oprah had, was she Oprah at that point? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah, I guess she was. Okay. Prince. Prince. So Janet, and it came down to uh, the last two on the list, Magic 
and Michael. Now, every time I make a next call, every time I make the next call, I'm asking for money. So I only had two more people on my list. So I call it Magic. Spike, what do you need? Boom. So the last call is Michael Jordan. The GOAT. Born in Brooklyn, New York. <laughs> anyway. Oh, I say that. So I know Michael's very competitive. Michael doesn't want to lose motherfucking tiddlywinks. So I just happened to let slip how much magic wrote on this check. <laughs> <laughs> And that was it. Michael said, Magic game, how much? <laughs> Boom. So Michael sealed it. I was able to hire back my uh, production team and post post-production team. And on Michael, uh, excuse me, on, on Malcolm's birthday, May 19th, we had a press conference at the Schaumburg Library in Harlem, 135th Street in Lenox, where we announced that these prominent African-Americans had written checks so we could finish the film where we wanted to, so we could finish my vision where we wanted to make it. And the next day, Warner Brothers started to fund the film again. On my mother's grave, true story. True story. So every time I see anybody, I give them, I saw, where I see magic? At, at Sam Jackson's birthday party. I mean, that was a big birthday party. They're buddies. I know. I gave I gave Magic a, sitting there with Cookie, lovely wife. I gave Magic a big hug. What's up, Spike? Why are you hugging me? I said, yo, you wrote that check for Malcolm X. That was it. You know, so. All those prominent. Tracy Chapman, Janet Jackson. I mean, you know, they wrote that check. And that's and that's because I I cannot cave in. Couldn't do it. And 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 here's the thing. Malcolm X evolved as a person. A young child, Detroit Red. We needed that time to see the transformations he was going as a human being. You can't do that shit in two hours. I wasn't just like, well, I have to do, have to be David Lean, make a three-hour motherfucking movie like Lawrence Arabia, Dr. Chivago, Bridge in the Motherfucking Choir. <laughs> <laughs> oh, Motherfucking Bridge in River Choir. <laughs> Got my motherfuckers out of place. <laughs> <laughs> but we needed a time to tell a story. Yeah. It was not an ego trip. We the, that the performance that Denzel, which is one of the greatest performers, I think, caught in the cinema, is not going to be the same thing in that film as two hours. You needed three hours. For three hours, you need money to do a three-hour movie. How much? I mean, you catch Denzel at the perfect point. I always feel like there has to be a little bit of luck involved when a movie stands the test of time. Because I was thinking about that Godfather and Godfather 2, Ron. Mm -hmm. And you think about like- People like Godfather 2 better. I think it's, I I love Godfather more, but I think Godfather 2 is a better movie. I mean, they're both great movies. Yeah, they're both great. But the amount of luck that they had to get Pacino and James Caan and Duvall and then catch Brando at the right point in his career. Yeah, but Paramount didn't even want Brando. Right. So Denzel, you catch right as he's ascending, but he's not Denzel yet. 
Mm-hmm. Well, it started with Mo Better. Yeah. And then he won. And he had glory. Glory. I knew he was because he was but, on Santa. Let me give you let me give you a quote. Famous quote. Branch Rickey. Luck is a residue of design. Mm. So if you're busting your ass, you're you have a better chance of the favors of luck being bestowed upon you. Right. But if you ain't doing shit and you just lean on your ass, you're not going to get lucky. <laughs> so, I mean, it's the same way you just said it, but I think right. that, I mean, I'm very, I've always remembered that, that Branch Ricky quote, but people don't know Branch Ricky signed Jackie Robinson. First to the Montreal Royals, then with the Brooklyn Dodgers. And yesterday was Jackie's 100th birthday. I remember. It was weird. I to- know you know, but just for the audience. Yeah, yeah, I got you. And let's, oh, let's not talk about what they tell that famous story. Jackie Robinson working out for the Red Sox. Oh, come on. Park. Come on. It was 70 years ago. <laughs> hey, did they did not did they not change the Yorkie way the other day? Did, not, did they not change the name? Same thing. Well, you could say from a karma standpoint, that, that might have helped explain why the Red Sox had so much pain and torment over the decades. Oh, yeah. Look. Because I am a karma guy. I believe in karma. I, and I, I do I, wonder if that... Let's shake hands. All right. God don't like ugly. And you just do some best that follows you. Karma, whatever you want to call it. Hey, you, when you had when you had Wesley Snipes a year before... Right. Wesley's in this great run of his career. He's, he's just... All these hits, know, all these great I movies for question, five years. I can answer the question. No, but who's, who is Wesley, Wesley now? Wesley always wanted to be an action hero guy. You want to be Passenger 57 guy? Schwarzenegger, Stallone, that's who he always wanted to be. And these films were a route for him to get to that position. But that's what he wanted to do. And look, as I said before, I want people to do what you want to do. Yeah. Be happy. And that's what you want to do. He, I want him to play Ray Rahim. He turned that down? Turned down. Really? I wanted Fishburne to play Raheem. Oof. I wanted Robert De Niro to, to play Sal. Get out of here. I lied to you not. You asked Robert De Niro to play Sal. You want to do it. God. But. What a great what if that is. No, no, no. I disagree. I think the thing that makes, which I'm going to touch on something. When you said, you talked earlier about the ensemble piece, all these different characters. You think he overpowers it? It's not an ensemble movie anymore. Yeah, it's a De Niro movie. It's, a, right. it's Robert De Niro film. And that's why... It's pretty, still a pretty interesting movie. What? It's pretty interesting to have De Niro in, in the. He didn't want to do it. And again, if acting, you, just like we, we brought Persingas. I like why have a guy around. on your team who doesn't want to be there? Why do you have an actor in a movie who doesn't want to do it? Right. What's and back in the day, those actors had contracted studios, so you didn't have a choice unless you're super super. You had to do what Louis B. Mayer and all them other guys said you had to do. What's that class you had late eighties? Do you feel like you were in a class? Oh yeah, I mean, like it, a direct class because Soderbergh. I, I, Soderbergh, I did a podcast with on Monday, mm. and he mentioned how you guys. Oh, yeah. You both had movies '89. He was like, "Man, that was kind of we bonded over a lot of stuff." I mean, there. I love Stephen. And here's the thing: though, people thought that because of 
Sex Lies and Videotape and Do the Right Thing and Can and and Sex Lies and Videotape one. What do you call it? The the, the, the palm, palm door. Yeah, yeah. My beef was never with him. Yeah. It was with Ben Vendors, who was the president of the jury. But me and Steve, people thought that now nah, we were always good. We were just young filmmakers, independent filmmakers. Cool. And our guy, our hero was Jim Jarmusch. Yeah. Because Jim Jarmusch is ahead of me in NYU Film School. So my class of 82 was my great cinematographer who shot all my stuff in film school and my early films, Ernest Dickerson oh, legend. and Ang Lee. Yeah. We were all in the same class. Ang Lee? Yes. He can speak a word of English then. Ang Lee, Ernest Dickerson, Spike Lee were all NYU graduate film school class of 1982. Jesus. Same class. Who else is in your, when you think about you and Soderbergh, like those guys coming up late 80s? Before that, you had John Sayles. Yep. Uh, Michael Moore with his documentary. I know I'm missing some people. But it was a great time because independent cinema was thriving. Yeah. And... Uh, did At what point did you become kind of the dean of black filmmakers? At what point in your career? Did people... Well, I don't, I don't know. I'm, look, I'm not going to give myself that position. Well, what but, I, but here's the thing, though. You had, early on, I'm here because of pioneers like Oscar Michaud. Then you had, later on, Gordon Parks, Melville Van Peebles, Ozzie Davis. Uh, there's a director who gets overlooked a lot. His name is Michael Schultz. He directed a lot of those major, major hit films of, of Richard Pryor. Richard Pryor was the oh, biggest... Yeah. Yeah. Star in Hollywood. And so then Robert Townsend and I really came out at the same time. She's a habit in Hollywood Shuffle. Yeah. Then Singleton with Boys in the Hood. But he saw your movie and didn't yeah. he tell you, like, yeah, I'm going to yeah. do what you're doing? I was standing outside. I forgot the theater. Selling T-shirts, hand out buttons. And... This skinny guy with glasses comes to me and says, my name is John Singleton, and uh, I'm going to be a filmmaker just like you. True story. True story. That was a good one. You, you got, we got we to, this is the first time? We've never done this before. We got to make trying, this. A, I was trying to get you on for years. Are you talking about I get along with anybody who loves basketball. <laughs> Plus we had the I think I, it's my fault. I had to get through this Boston, New York thing, but I well, can't over it. We had the Ralph Wiley the, connection. Yeah. Look, my my apologies. No, we, look, I admire what you do. Thank you. You know what you're talking about. A lot of these people, they don't know what the fuck they're talking about. Just talking. I had one more question because you probably have to go. <laughs> yeah. Just that? that I was interested in. Mm -hmm. 25th Hour. Ooh, I love that film. It didn't get nominated. And when you look at the list of people that, that films that got nominated, it's a disgrace. Um, did you know as you're filming that 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 was going to be like the first post 9-11 movie? Because yes. that's become no, no, part we, of the narrative oh, we knew of it. it. But here's the thing. Was that no. the biggest reason you wanted to do it? Yes, I'm a New Yorker. But here's a secret sauce. David Benioff, that was a novel. I know. And the novel was written pre-9-11. So it was my deal to make this story. I told David, David... This has to be post 9-11. Novel was written before. And Edward Dorton and I have been wanting to 
worked together for a minute, and we both got these scripts from, from our two separate agents at the same time. Yeah. And now and then you think about the cast. Edward Norton, the late great Phyllis Seymour Hoffman. People sleep on Barry Pepper. Barry Pepper. He Pepper's, made sort of run. He was good in sixty one. No, he's a very, I like sixty one. Oh, he's a great athlete. Yeah. Hockey. He could he, he's an athlete because we had every movie we had softball teams he could play. Rosario. Yeah. Brian Cox. Tony Siragusa. Yeah. His first He's a Russian mobster. Yeah. <laughs> I was doing a piece I was, I was doing that, that film Jim Brown All-American and that year the Ravens were in the Super Bowl yeah Ray Lewis so Coach Les Jim wants to have Spike his crew so they let us and then I got tight with Tony Siragusa and I said I had him come and read and he got the part that movie holds up Oh yeah, I think it's it's turned into what Terrence, I think one of the most important movies of that decade. Also, Terrence Blanchard's score. Yeah, Terrence, my longtime composer, and Black Clampson's first nomination. Barry Brown, my longtime editor, cut Do the Right Thing, Malcolm X, Inside Man. This is his first time nomination. Adams, I mean Adams Young, but his first nom- Adam Driver's first nomination. So, so. When people saw me jumping up and down, that video that went out, yeah, that was just for me. That was for Terrence, and because I know how this is my team, yeah, and these guys bust their ass, and and I, and they people know me, but they I mean Terrence is a great musician, so see him you know out, but Barry, you know these guys have never, they are masking their crap, and they're not doing it to get nominations. But at the same time, any human being wants to be acknowledged for the work they do. I had a I really, just, I had a weird experience seeing it because I had John David Washington on the podcast the next day. It was great. Yeah, and so I went see, to see Hour or Black. No, Clans? no, Black Klansman. Okay. Um, the the night before, I had to go to like an eleven o'clock screening at the Grove, and it was me and like I don't know ten people. Uh huh including four girls who I think thought it was a comedy, well, which seems to be a recurring phone, theme were, with this. Were they on their phone the whole time? No, they were they, probably, but they're laughing, really laughing at some stuff. I'm like, mm-hmm. I'm like, I'm positive this isn't a comedy, but right. it's, I mean, it has funny moments, but. Well, I think that the, was, the humor, the laughter comes from the absurdity of the premise. Black man infiltrates Ku Klux Klan. Right. Uh-huh. But do you, how much do you think is like nervous laughter? I don't know. It was, it was weird. Yeah, there is. There is. Uh, I almost told them to leave. You should have. I was like, can you guys leave? <laughs> I'm really enjoying this movie. Can you go? But uh, there are certain things where I acknowledge that particularly white audiences don't know if they should laugh yeah. or not. There's an uneasiness to it that yeah. I thought was fascinating. I almost wish I had seen it in a full theater. Well, to you get... should have seen Bamboos with a white audience. They oh. <laughs> <laughs> in fact, we have a scene where, where the performance going on. And we have the white audience members looking through their black <laughs> If they laugh, I'm laughing. <laughs> what are you most proud of that movie? Bamboozle? Looking back now that Bamboozle? it's... No, no, Black Klansman. Oh. Now that it's been it's been out for six months, what is the thing you're most proud of? We, I think this is... My answer will be the, could be the end of the show. You're great. That's why I asked. Okay. Yeah. Black Klansman will be on the right side of history. 
I like that. That's it. Spike Lee, I'm glad we finally did Let's this. Let's do it again soon. I'm sorry the Red Sox uh, took the Yankees' <laughs> mantra as the dominant American League team of this century. You had last century, at least. Look. Yeah, the 20th century was great. The Yankees, excuse me. Now it's the, the Red Sox century. a better team last year. I can't debate that. The whole century, I would say. Listen, I'm you only going go one year back. <laughs> you had last century. We got this century. It's fine. You had a lot of titles. Your, your manager. Our manager is amazing. He is. First Puerto Rican manager. You know, so look, we got work to do. What are you going to do about your reliever? We're fine. We have an awesome team. We'll get a closer in June. We're going to win every game by seven <laughs> runs and we'll get a closer in June. We're fine. We're fine. You worry about your own team. You should be getting Bryce Harper right now. They're not paying him that money. Why'd they build that terrible stadium? That thing's awful. Thing's empty half the time. That's because those... That's, what you're talking about, sir, is corporations taking over sports. They ruined Yankee Stadium. That's not the only one. We kept our integrity, integrity oh, look, and kept I lo- Fenway I lo- Park. Look, we kept Fenway. Chicago I lo- kept Wrigley. I love Fenway. I love Wrigley Field. But what's up with the TD Gardens? Listen, I mean, it's, what's, what's, oh, well, now it's you're, terrible. Now you're fumbling the bumble. Yeah, <laughs> it's terrible. It's terrible. <laughs> Corporate America. I mean, except for playoff games, that center field camera looking at, at the plate, there's no buy behind home plate. It's embarrassing. They should have seat, seat fillers like the Oscars. It would seem so much better. Get somebody 50 high school kids and bring them in there. Uh, Spike Lee, I'm glad we finally did this. Uh, this is a pleasure. Again. Yeah. Thank All right. Thanks so much to Spike Lee. Thanks to Joe House. Thanks to ZipRecruiter. Don't forget to go to ZipRecruiter.com slash BS. Thanks to Hulu. Don't forget to start your free trial at Hulu.com. Don't forget about Mercari. They're the selling app that makes it fast and easy to sell almost anything. Just take a few pics, add a description, and boom, your item is listed. With millions of people using the Mercari app in 50 states, stuff really sells. Everything ships easily. No awkward meetups. You can find Mercari in the app stores or at Mercari.com, M-E-R. C-A-R-I dot com. And thanks to the New York Times crossword. If you're looking for something smart to do while you're waiting for your latte, sitting in the train or snacking in the break room, play the New York Times mini crossword. The mini puzzle can be solved in almost two minutes. They're about for a fun, stimulating way to spend your downtime. Challenge yourself every word play every day. Download the New York Times crossword app at newyorktimes.com slash mini. Kyle, how's your life been different since the Pats won the Super Bowl? It's just been all around better. Just, you know, waking just up. a happy 40 my hours, teeth. right? Yeah, had a great time brushing my teeth today. It's a parade today? Yeah, there was a parade. Tom Brady's doing Good Morning America. Is he? Oh. Yeah, he did that today. I'll check that out. Talked about Giselle. We got Inside the NFL tonight. Get all the highlights of the game. You see the McCordy twins dancing together? Yeah. That was, yeah. That was heartwarming. Yeah, it was great. I don't know how we did it. Uh, back on Thursday, Trade Deadline Pod. We're going to be taping me and Ryan Rosillo basically from... Uh, all the way through and put it up as soon as possible. So hopefully some stuff will happen until then.